0: All right, Nerdy Bones back in the studio. What's up, Nick? What's up, Keith? What are we talking about today?
1: We are talking uh where are? <laughs> we are. We are talking about Steve Martin today.
0: Which is really cool because we've been starting to kind of uh do full episodes on a specific
1: Yeah, we we realized today actually that we have started to do more uh, biographies on people. And we actually really enjoy doing that. Yes, yes. A lot. Yes, And we kind of realized a little, uh, like really just a half hour ago recording this, is is like we can actually do a lot of what topics we like Mm. with just doing biographies on people.
0: Yeah, and I'm loving it. Yeah. Like when we do it, like I. Like as uh, at the end of this month, I'm going to do Robin Williams on this same. But we're remote. also
1: doing Genghis Khan before
0: that. Genghis Khan, dude! Like I've, yeah. I've like I've got so much on the pipe already. Yeah.
1: Like, and I, we we were talking about doing a few more too uh, eventually.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like the the more we go into this, it, we're kind of hitting our yeah. stride. But
1: one thing we really love doing is the comedian one. Um, we did. Uh,
0: uh, we did Kennison We did Sam Kennison um, Hedberg Mitch Hedberg
1: And uh, Bill Hicks yeah. And if you haven't checked those out Fucking check them out Yeah man. yeah. We actually really love those episodes a lot yeah. But this is a monthly thing We're going to be doing as a comedian Every month Right And this month it's uh, Steve Martin That's right And I alluded to last month actually I really want I like. I want to do Steve Martin But I want to do him justice mm-hmm. So this is a big one for me Because I'm like I did a lot And I'm just going to say it right now This is, this is going to be a two-parter And mm-hmm. this is the very first two-part Nerdy Bones episode we're That's ever doing That's true That's true Yeah so, uh, so get, it, get it rolling, brother. So yeah, yeah without further ado, um, this is uh, Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Now, now, this doesn't happen very
2: often, but about three weeks ago, I met a girl, and she was real nice, and she invited me to her apartment. So I went over there, and she had the best pussy I have ever seen. Oh, now, come on! Come <laughs> on! I'm talking about her cat. Now that makes me sick. I'm right talking then. about her cat. <laughs> no, no, you you can't say anything anymore. That people don't take it dirty, and I'm sorry that disgusts me. That cat was the best fuck I ever had. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That, that, that is such a, an intelligent joke. That's an intelligent joke.
1: Dude. Yeah. Oh well, that was the way Steve Martin was, and uh, that was actually from his uh, comedy album, A Wild and Crazy Guy. I'm just a wild think, and crazy. Well, guy. Well, which I think actually I read earlier, it got like a uh, double platinum, and it got like a uh, Grammy, a Grammy for like best comedy album of the year. Really? It was yeah, I dude. He was that. a he was a fucking rock star, man. I didn't know that. But uh, and I I didn't mention this before, but I'm gonna say this is a. Uh, when I talk about Steve Martin, this is a uh, this is only really going to be about a stand comedy for the most part. I really um I'm going to get into a little bit of his te- uh, but I'm, I'm really getting into his early career, but pretty much I'm going to stop it when it gets up to when he started the movie career and he quit okay. and he quit stand up. And I want to say I got all pretty much every bit of information from uh, his book, uh, Born Standing yeah, Up. Oh, well, I was
0: about to ask uh, what's your source <laughs> Yeah,
1: it's a it's a book called Born Standing Up and it was written by Steve Martin and actually the whole book is about his or his uh comedy career. Okay. And I'm I'm gonna say too I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a lot of it pretty much verbatim. Oh, so there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. There's so hopefully no one uh, tries to flag me. Some uh, the company published this. Who was it? Let's see, Scri- Scribner published this. Well, okay.
0: we're putting it out there so you guys can yeah. experience. And, and
1: it. also, if you are uh, interested in in, uh, in knowing more about them, I mean, definitely uh, pick this book up. It's, yeah. Like I, I've read uh, I've I will say I've read half of it and that's why and i but I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I feel comfortable stopping it at this point. Mm-hmm. And then so next week will be the second part, and I'm not yeah. gonna go into more. But I'm using his book because it's just really well written by him. By him. And it gives it a, it's just it, it gives a good description and, and is written well of his early career. So yeah. I just wanted to go with that. Yeah. So anyway, without further ado, I'll just so rock and start roll getting anything. Um so uh st- what was it? Uh Steve Martin uh or Steve Glenn Martin or Stephen Glenn Martin, I should say.
0: I didn't know his middle name was Glenn.
1: Um yeah, I didn't know that either. Uh he was born a poor black child. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to throw that in. <laughs> that was from uh that was the opening line from The Jerk. Yeah. Uh which he uh co watch, watch the jerk if you haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah, the that. jerk is a fucking great movie. <laughs> and he was uh born on August fourteenth, nineteen forty five in Waco, Texas. And his parents, dude. Were, he was
0: born in Waco. Yeah, he was born in Waco. Yeah, I know, right?
1: <laughs> and his parents were uh, Mary Lee Scott or Mary Lee Stewart and uh, Glenn Vernon Martin. And he has sister named uh, Melinda. Okay. I also was, I saw on Wikipedia he had a, a brother named Fred, but I don't. I haven't got. I don't really yeah. seen that. So, um, let's see where am I going with this from there? <laughs> Sorry, I have a lot of notes, and then I got the book. Um, yeah, uh, so he's raised in Inglewood and then later in our Garden Grove, uh, California, and uh, and from there, I'm actually going to start reading from the book. Yeah. Actually, um, here we go. So his uh, father wanted to be an actor when um, when Steve Martin was like first growing up. He's like, so yeah, you know, like I said, I'm going to start reading a lot of this from the book, pretty much word for word. And uh, so my father wanted to be, or, uh, his father wanted to be an actor, and his mother hated the Texas Heat. So in 1950. When he was five years old, uh, his family moved from Waco to Hollywood, um, and to maintain family ties, uh, they motored between Texas and California several times over the next few years. And on these road trips, he was introduced to comedy. And this, is age, <laughs> this is at age five. And as the evening closed around us, my, uh, his father would turn on the car radio, and his sister Melinda and him nestled in the backseat, and they would listen to Bob Hope, Alec, Adam oh, Costello, wow. and, uh, and Amos and Andy. And their favorite uh, thing at that night was uh, the Jack Benny program. Oh, dude,
0: Jack Benny. I, I actually don't I've know anything about Jack Benny. Yeah, I've listened to Jack Benny myself.
1: So, um, and he said listening to comedy was one of the few things that his family did together. So he'd listen to these shows, but he didn't really realize it until, uh, until he was an adult that he was interested in show business. You know, At the time, when he was a kid, five years old, he just kind of enjoyed what he right. you know, listening to it. So uh, a few months later, uh, they uh, you know, moved from Hollywood to Inglewood, California, and lived in a small bungalow on Venice Way uh, directly across from Highland Elementary School. This was the site of his first stage performance where, in kindergarten, he appeared as Rudolph (laughs) the Red-Nosed Rudolph. Oh, my
0: God. Well, he actually used that in a couple of his uh, skits. Did he? Yeah, being Rudolph, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I remember seeing that on Saturday Night Live. Really? Like, he he was Rudolph more than once. Hmm. (laughs) They kind of... Well,
1: that's one thing people don't realize, or a lot of people think, uh, or... I think people know now, but a lot of people think that Steve Martin was a cast member on SNL and never was. Yeah, he was just there. He just hosted them a yeah. lot because in the early days they just couldn't really get people to host. Uh, yeah, and that's why you know that's really where he well uh, that's where kind of took off. Well,
0: like you think about like it, his uh, big big skit on Saturday Night Live was with uh, Billy Crystal. No, or just a couple. No, that was, and was it was Billy Crystal.
1: Again. That was uh, 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 a. It was Kim? Billy Crystal. No, it was uh, with a uh, Belushi. Er, Blue sheet. No,
0: dude. The, Who's the, the
1: guy who does the Crystal Skull Vodka? I don't know what you're Dan talking Dan Aykroyd. No. No, he did, you know, he did it with Dan Aykroyd.
0: We're going to have to Google this. All right. Because, like... You, um, you,
1: you can Google it while I uh, while I do it, but like, it was like, Dan Aykroyd he did the it big with.
0: The big skit, I remember him...
1: It, well, well Two Wild and Crazy Guys with, uh, him, with We're too Wild
0: and, cra- and It was Billy Crystal. All
1: right, it was I'll look it up while you're talking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, he was five years old uh, when television entered the the household. A black, uh, plastic black box wired to a rooftop uh, antenna sat in his living room. And on it appeared what had to be the world's longest continuous showing of B-Westerns. <laughs> yeah. And he actually got he got to be really, uh, he got really into Westerns. Like, he'd watch them all. Well, I, I understand He loved that. it. Yeah. You know, and uh, the TV also brought into his life uh, two appealing characters named Laurel and Hardy. Um, who he found clever and gentle in contrast to the Three Stooges who were blatant and violent. Uh, Laurel and Hardy's work, already 30 years old, has survived decades with no hint of cobwebs. They were also touching and affectionate, and, and he believed, this is where he got his idea, that jokes are funniest when played upon oneself. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Like well, he didn't, like, he didn't um, like the Three Stooges. Well, yeah,
0: well, you know how much I love the Three Stooges. Oh, I,
1: know. I, know. I know. I love the Three Stooges. So he would, uh, what was it, uh, He would memorize... uh, Billy Crystal. Okay. (laughs) All right, I was wrong. So uh, he would memorize uh, Red Skelton's routines about uh, two pooping seagulls, (laughs) Gertrude and (laughs) Heathcliff, or his bit about uh, how different people walk through a rain puddle and perform the next day during Wednesday morning sharing time at, at his grade school.
0: Say it so, again. Say it again.
1: So he would he would he pretty much me- he memorized a routine from a red Skelton. or from red skeleton. Okay. And he'd go and he'd perform it in front of a That's awesome, in front of his man. uh That's classmates. Awesome. Yeah. Fucking awesome. So his uh, his father uh, Glenn Martin uh, died nineteen ninety seven at uh age eighty three, and afterward his friends told uh told him about how much they loved him. They told him how enjoyable he was, how outgoing he was, how funny and caring he was. And he was surprised by these descriptions because the number of funny or caring words that had been passed between him and his father were few. He eventually saved his vibrant personality for those outside. Uh, he, well, he evidently saved his caring personality for people outside the family. And uh, when, he, when, uh, when Steve was uh, seven or eight years old, he suggested uh, that uh, him and his dad play catch in front of the yard. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Yeah, his dad suggests that. <laughs> and his, but his offer, this offer to spend time together was so rare that uh, that Steve was confused about what what he was supposed to do. Like we tossed the ball, be, or uh, yeah, so uh, oh, yeah. he said we tossed the ball back and forth without cheer with cheerless formality.
0: That's well, and that's interesting because that, that was like in like uh, so. How old was Steven at
1: that point? He said, I think he said six or seven.
0: Yeah, like that w- would have been or seven or eight. Sorry. Well, that would have been like the the fifties.
1: Yeah. You yeah, like, it was in the So
0: th- that's like what he did. He was born in 45, so. Yeah, that's what he Early did. 50s. Yeah, that's what he did. Is he but did. yeah,
1: that's just the way, it, but it's like the fact that he, uh, he heard all this stuff from his, about his dad from all these people after he died, and he's like, my dad never was like that with me. <laughs> it was like, you know, he was one thing when he was a family, when he was with his family, and he was another person when he was with his friends. Right, right. It was that kind of thing.
0: Well, like I grew up, and like you and I both grew up in the late, late 80s, early 90s. The thing, yeah. the only thing my dad did with me, because my dad was a martial artist, mm-hmm. was fucking
1: fight. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, well, I remember playing so, like catch with my dad. Yeah, and I and never, stuff. I never had that. My yeah. dad would always take time to like teach me stuff, yeah, especially like working on cars or something. Yeah, you know, like, I like never, Something he was into. I never had that.
0: It was, I'm here, here, son, I'm going to throw a punch at yeah. you. What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's, continue, continue.
1: Yeah. So in, in their house, uh, his mother was called mama, but his dad was always called Glenn.
0: So he called his dad by and his called name. Called his dad
1: Glenn. Yeah. Okay. That's the kind of guy. Uh, and then, and I want to I want to preface by saying, the whole this whole episode, um, and the next episode is even. I'm, I what I like to do with with what I talk about and with anybody is I like to paint a picture of who they were. There you go. And yeah. how they became what they became. You know their roots and everything, and mm-hmm. like what really influenced them.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Yeah. So as a young woman, uh, his mother Mary Lee Martin. Had a sense of uh, fun that was rarely displayed later in her life. Um, she was an avid seamstress and made clothes for them, and uh, that she'd copy from movie magazines. Like oh, she loved, wow. she loved fashion. And uh, starstruck, she proudly saved a newspaper of a photo of herself in a, in a theater see behind the popular v- actor at the time, Dan Johnson. Did,
0: did you say theater? Yeah. Well, I mean, Why was?
1: <laughs> Megan gives me the same shit about that. She's like, you say theater wrong. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> whatever. I'm sorry, go ahead. God damn you. <laughs> <laughs> so, la- so later at age 45, she even managed to get some modeling jobs at local department stores. She, she, and, uh, she dreamed of a glamorous life. And he, uh, Steve had always assumed the reason uh, that his father ended up settling, uh, settling into real estate instead of pursuing acting was that his mother had pressured him to get a real job. But when she was older and uh, and, I, and he asked his mom about it he said and she said oh no I uh, I wanted your father to be a star oh wow yeah yeah and she went on to say that it was he who hadn't followed his dream which uh, she was talking about uh, about his dad oh okay so he okay. was the one who didn't who decided not to pursue it and uh, so his mother uh, was the daughter of a strict Baptist matriarch who uh, barred dancing, dating, and card playing, and she must have viewed her marriage <laughs> to my theatrically inclined father as the an exciting card alternative. Card playing
0: is, seems yeah. real specific.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what he put. So, what he wrote. <laughs> to his, a theatrically infl- inclined father as, exciting, as an exciting alternative to small town life. But my father overpowered her easily, intimidated her, her uh, personality, and she only escaped from one uh, repressive situation into another. That's the way he viewed oh, it. Oh wow! Really? His mo- yeah, his mother went from you know being the
0: Wait, like Steve saw his mother like rep- repressed. Yeah, is like the what I was the word? Yeah, I was trying pretty to use.
1: much. Um,
0: so, but he he saw her like overcoming and then moving forward.
3: Yeah.
1: So, it, am,
0: am I wrong in saying that?
1: No, not at all. Like
0: he, he saw her like have a kind of a.
1: <sighs> She, yeah, she just went from one shitty situation to another kind of thing. But she always
0: came out on top, is from what it sounds well,
1: like. Well, she always loved your kids. Well, that's what matters. Is, the way, is I what think. I get from everything. Yeah, that's what matters. So his father had a, had a resonant voice, and he liked to sing around the house. He, emul- he emulated uh, Bing Crosby and Dean Martin, and his mother loved it when, uh, when he crooned the popular songs of the day. Oh, <laughs> I know that word. Man. I love that, that word, word, crooned. I know that it's word. It's such an old word, man.
0: Well, yeah. like crooning is. like... Well,
1: crooner, you, you think when you think of crooner, you think of like S- Sinatra, Dean Martin. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, she was a good piano player and kept uh, encouraging uh, Steve to sing for her. And I su- and uh, he's supposed to find out uh, to find out if if uh, he she kind of tried to find out if uh, she he inherited his father's genes oh, <laughs> or his father's God. voice, yeah. I should say. And, but Steve was uh, was shy at home and uh, kept refusing.
0: That's amazing to think about, like Steve Martin being shy.
1: Yeah, that's the so, well. Like I said, this is probably around eight years old, maybe. Yeah, I'm thinking well, at this the point.
0: The other day, like not to derail, but mm-hmm. uh, the other day at work, I was thinking about like his work on the Pink Panther. Yeah, and he's like, he's like the the, the scene that is in my head is like where he's going through customs, mm-hmm. and like he's playing Clouseau. Yeah, and uh, he's never been to America before, and he's experiencing hamburgers. <laughs> he's hamburger. So I have dim burgers in my pocket. <laughs> it's just funny because like the like there's these drug dogs on him, and he's like, "What's oh, in your pocket?" And he goes, yeah. "Get burger." <laughs> <laughs> sorry, but go ahead. I'm sorry. So so
1: yeah. So he was shy at home and, and kept refusing, but that uh, one day after her uh, final push, he agreed, and he went to the garage where he would he could practice "America the Beautiful" and private private a America, few hours. "America the Beautiful." "America the Beautiful." A few hours later, he was ready, and uh, she got the sheet music and played it on the piano. And So he sang that. Well, let me continue. Okay, let me, he still shut yeah, up. He stood before her, and uh, at downbeat, uh, what came out of his mouth was an eight year old boy's attempt to initiate his dad's deep baritone. Oh. So it was eight okay. the eighth time. So I was right about that. Yeah. So uh, he plunged into his low voice down, da- or his voice down as low as it could go, and began to croon the song like D Martin might have done it on a baseball <laughs> game. <laughs> And his mother, as much as uh, she wanted oh, to continue, man. collapsed in laughter uh, and could not stop. Oh shit! She laughed at him. She laughed at him because he was trying to use. She was trying to intimidate his father. Fo- uh, in, yeah, I- fuck, intimidate dude. or
0: what was word? Um, not intimidate. Uh, but it, it's uh. <laughs> why are we forgetting? Well, this? Well, there's a word here that we're looking at. She yeah. tried to make him not want to follow through with this.
1: Yeah, he was trying to Im- imitate. Sorry. Imitate. Imi- yeah. <laughs> I can't believe we forgot that. So he was trying to imitate his father uh, with a voice, but, you know, yeah, he made her laugh instead. That's fucked, man. Yeah. And uh, she just couldn't stop. Her, her eyes redden with tears of affection. The control she tried to exert over herself made her laugh even more. And with her forearm falling on the piano keys, she tried to hide her face from me. <laughs> uh, Dude, that from sucks. Uh, that and filling sucks. out Smalling room with laughter and dissonance. Like she explained as kindly as she could that I was charming, not uh, that it was charming, not ridiculous, but he was forever. A- <laughs> but as he put it, but I was forever after reluctant to sing in public. Oh, uh, dude! Well, come yeah. on, he got it. He got it. His mother made. He got over it. I think. I think. I think he got over it. <laughs> so, um, think,
0: think about him playing on stage with the, banjo, the guitar and. Yeah. Oh no! Yeah, the banjo, like the banjo. And, and then, I'm gonna like, get into his playing with oh, the banjo. Okay, okay.
1: So, um, next I'm gonna get. Well, I'm gonna get more into his uh magic actually. Mm. And one thing that a lot of people know about is is uh he did, he did a lot of magic. Yeah, I know. I know the Well, I him. shouldn't say a lot of people, but some people, yeah. Well, um,
0: he did a lot of shows like doing magic, yeah. uh, magic
1: routines. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm gonna get into a lot of that actually. Okay. Cool. So having been given a few store bought magic tricks by by an uncle. He developed an instra- interest in uh, conjuring and felt a, a glow of specialness as the sole possessor, at least locally, of its secrets. <laughs> <laughs> his meager uh, repertoire of tricks, uh, quintupled with his parents, gave him a uh, maestro magic set, a cherished Christmas well, what Well,
0: what I remember looking at is they actually got a magic set in the mail. Mm-hmm. Am I right?
1: Well, his parents gave them this as a it, Christmas well, gift. They,
0: Oh, they ordered it. And yeah. like, so he got, like, a magic set in the mail mm-hmm.
1: that was, um, like... Uh, mysto. My, m- it's actually called Mysto. M-Y-S-T-O. And
0: it, and it was, like, your rudimentary yeah. tricks. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: So the apparatus, the apparatus was flimsy and uh, the instructions indecipherable. And a few of the effects were deeply uninteresting. <laughs> so out of a box of ten tricks, only four were useful, but even four tricks required practice. Uh, so he stood in front of the mirror for hours mastering the linking rings. Or the oh, ball yeah, and linking, ring,
0: linking rings. That's yeah. not easy. That's well, not easy.
1: So his first shows were uh, were performed in the third grade in his third grade class using an uh, upturned apple crate for his magic table. Oh, that's dope, right,
0: dude? We d- we don't we we have not grown up during that, and that's cool as fuck. Well, it was
1: way before the age of YouTube, of yeah, course, yeah. where any any kid can just. Record something on their cell phone and right. upload it to YouTube. Yeah. You actually, uh, you know, you, you, get, you get to know how you did by the, you know, your uh, schoolmates, like people talking, classmates, like people talking, you know, actually like watching you and giving you feedback, oh, you yeah. know, laughing or be like, this. It, is it, fucking it, it terrible. wasn't
0: like a YouTube upload. No. Yeah. It was
1: a lot different then, you know. But anyway, so let's get back. So his father uh, was a generous one in the family, which is crazy to think. So he's like, his, um, <laughs> Well, here's where I'm going with this. So his uh, his mother promoted penny-pinching habits and uh, lingering from her Great Depression childhood and her practice of scrimping on household uh heat nearly froze <laughs> froze him and his sister uh, into statues in the winter. Oh, <laughs> wow.
0: Uh, <laughs> like, uh, well, that's from the book.
1: Yeah. And he annoyed his mother on occasion <laughs> or uh well Yeah, I think his father he annoyed uh his mother by occasionally lending whatever leftover little leftover money they had to uh, to his to his dad's friends. Um,
0: so they would lend out money.
1: Yeah, well, his dad would. He oh, let out okay. money, and his mom was like super, like she frugal person. Like, don't you know? We need what money we have. And his dad was like, "Well, my friend needs help." So <laughs>
0: that would be me, though. Like,
1: yeah. But when 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 his mother would re- would uh, object, his father would restri- would remind her that they had been able to buy their first house because of the generosity of a family. friend. Oh, there you. And I don't go. know if I said before, but his dad was uh, selling real estate. Yeah, oh, well, you did mention night.
0: that. Yeah. You
1: know. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Poop. <laughs> <laughs> so he loved comic books, especially the funny ones like Little Lulu. Oh shit. And Uncle Scrooge.
0: What? Really?
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. And I
0: actually know that book. I yeah, that he wasn't he said he was in heaven. He was in well book. that's where uh, DuckTales comes from. Yeah,
1: well his father actually financed his subscription and uh to these mm-hmm. and he said I ended up after one year owing him five dollars,
3: <laughs>
1: and though and he's like though he ne- he never dogged me for it. I'm sure he kept his debt on the books to teach me one- the value of money. And he's like, as the balance grew, I was nauseated whenever I thought of it. And one birthday, he forgave my debt, and I soared r- with relief. And this is this is actually a really interesting thing to me, and very important, I think, is he, and probably something really most people don't know unless they read this book. Is he said in my adult life. I have never bought anything on credit. Wow. Yeah. Wow. How cool is that?
0: I can't say. And that, I'll get it I, into. I later. can't say that I've well, been there. I'm gonna get into
1: later when he goes to college too, and he, I think he paid for college by working jobs. You know, um, by doing no comedy credit. and everything and acting. No credit. no credit. No credit. He said never bought anything on credit. Wow. How many people can say that? I can't. I can't say it either. Yeah, I can't. I say do it all the time, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't want to. But I we really do it. am looking forward to the day when I have no debt. <laughs> So anyway, so in spite of uh, these sincere efforts of parenting, his father seemed to have a, a mysterious and growing anger towards him. He was increasingly volatile, and eventually, in his teen years, he felt he fell into enraged silences. That's always the worst, dude, with your dad.
0: En- enraged silences. Enra-
1: well, he'd be pissed off, but he wouldn't say anything.
0: Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah,
1: and he always knew that money issues plagued him. Like Steve always knew that that money issues plagued his dad. And that uh they were always dependent on the next hypothetical real estate sale, oh wow, and perhaps this was the source of his anger, but uh Steve thought that um that it was because of his show business dream slipping further into the sunset, and he chose to blame his family who needed food, shelter, and attention.
0: Wow, yeah, good. wow,
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: well, like th- here's the big thing is like today, like Steve Martin is like one of the most famous comedians that you can think of.
1: Oh without a doubt. And uh Well, the, I think he's kind of he's kind of disappeared in the last maybe like 5 years. But Unless I, will, well, well, you, and I you and I still love him. He hasn't done a movie in a long time. It's
0: been a while. It's been
1: a while. But if you really know comedy, especially comedy exactly. movies, you know Steve Martin.
0: Well, like his uh his uh acting in the Pink Panther movies. Yeah, Like we were talking was
1: about. in the last movies he did actually. Yeah,
0: and that was maybe about 10 years ago, but who cares dude? Like he's made his money. He's,
1: he... well, he's just doing what he wants now. But he's yeah. been able to do that for years. I just like, we well, were I think t- he's actually right now. He's going on another tour with uh, with a, uh, was it? Robin, Sh- Robin, Short? No, why did they want to say uh, Robin Short? Oh, <laughs> I know,
0: I know, what you're talking about uh, um, Martin, Short. Martin Short. Martin Short. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah He's going on another because they did. Uh, they actually did a Netflix special called "Like an Evening You're Soon to Forget." But, oh, but they're doing yeah. it. They're they're doing another tour actually, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, I would I would go see that. Did you see
1: the the that one though? The I haven't, I haven't I a haven? Oh dude, we gotta watch it. Yeah, we got it's I fucking fantastic. To hell
0: yeah, man. Yeah. Martin <laughs> like Martin Short's another one of those people that don't think about that. He was actually a stand up comedian. Yeah. And like he did what like my favorite movie that Martin Short did was uh Inner uh Inner
1: Space. Inner Space, yeah. Yeah. With and, Randy Quaid. Yeah. Was yeah. it Randy Quaid? Yeah. Dennis Quaid. It was Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid. Yeah, yeah. Dennis Quaid.
0: Yeah, was like, and he did a lot of movies, I mean, but in particular that. Maybe we'll was... have to do
1: Martin Short one day.
0: Hell be, yeah, that'd be fun. Actually,
1: hell yeah. One well, one bit movie they actually end up doing later, which probably were, were around the time they first met, was probably a uh, Three Amigos.
0: Oh oh shit! I've never seen
1: Three Amigos. What? Yeah, I know. You've right? never seen Three
0: Amigos. Are we gonna have to have a fist fight right now? <laughs> Anyway, that's more exactly That's not what I'm going into. So I,
1: I should get back to, to what we're talking about. So um, though uh, his sister seemed to escape his ra- like his, their father's wrath, his mother grew more and more submissive to, uh, to his father in order to avoid his temper. Really? Yeah. Well, you see that sometimes. You see that with some women. Um, not, not to say like it was bad that she did that. She was just trying to avoid conflict. Which if you want to hear our debate on that, check mm-hmm. out our episode of Philosophical Bones. That's right. About conf- I think it was about conflict, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, timid and uh, secretive, uh, she whispered thoughts to to uh, to Steve, uh, with the caveat, "Don't tell anyone." I said that. <laughs> I think his mom was saying it's this. Never thing, a good thing. And, and uh, filling filling him with with belief, which took years to correct, that it was dangerous to express one's true opinion. This is definitely wow, like where it shows is... like how his father really kind of fucked him up. Well, his
0: father sounds like he came from a very. Uh... <sighs>
1: I didn't, Unhealthy you know, that's one thing in the book background. is I didn't really, there wasn't really any talk of his past. So I honestly don't know anything about, uh, about Steve Martin's dad. I just yeah. didn't get, I didn't, and, and uh, maybe I'll look at it before, uh, try to find something before uh, the next part. Yeah. But from everything. You have a lighter. <laughs> Sorry. Really interrupting me with that? Yes, yes, I am. Yeah. Um, so I'll get back to it with anything.
0: Um, so you were talking about Steve Martin's dad. Yeah.
1: So, Melinda, uh, four years old, older than, than uh, Steve was at the time. So,
0: so he has an older sister. Yeah, I didn't yeah. realize that.
1: Well, I told you he had a sister. Well, keep it wrong. So, um, they always went to a different school. And, but so they never really bonded or uh, coalesced and, until oh. decades later when she uh, phoned me, when she phoned him and said, I want to know my brother, initiating a lasting communication between them. And wow. actually, I want to bring something up because um, I actually talked to my sister for the first time oh, in like yes. a year and a half. Like I actually have a conversation with her for the first time in a year and a half um, uh, a few days ago. And honestly, it was like she pretty much said the exact same thing to me, which was like, you don't like, oh, well, yeah, you want to talk about like what I was like or what I would have been like when I was younger. It was like, you you just you don't know me.
3: Dude. And that was kind of
1: like in and this. And, and I read this before I talked to her and it really hit me. And I was like, you know, you're probably you're right. I don't really know you and I'd like to.
0: Well, it's it's uh you take the opportunity at and that it was
1: point. it was kinda crazy to, to, to realize that. I was like, Holy shit. Yeah. I'm like, I can't believe like you know, I was reading this book on Steve Martin and it's totally applying. <laughs> so anyway, that that's enough about my life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> enough about my life.
1: So uh to further go on, so he was punished for his worst transgressions, uh by spankings with switches or paddle. And I've been there. Dude, me too. <laughs> <laughs> A holdover from any <laughs> Texas childhood of that time. <laughs> and when his mother warned, uh, just wait till Glenn gets home, he would be sick with fear, dreading nightfall, dreading the moment when he would walk through the door. His growing mo- moodiness uh, made each, punish- pun- each episode of punishment more unpredictable and hence more frightening. And once when, he was about, uh, nine, when Steve was about nine years old, he went too far. That evening his mood was ominous and uh, we indulged in a rare family treat. Eating out, and, uh, oh okay. You're eating out. Bird's Eye frozen dinners, frozen TV dinners <laughs> in front of the television. So his father mothered something. Bird's uh,
0: Eye. I used, to buy, I used to buy Bird's Eye. Yeah,
1: I'd, I'd go for the Hungry Man
0: myself. But how that, do you how do you feed a well, hungry man? Well, actually, I don't man. even know
1: because I haven't eaten a TV, TV dinner in years. <laughs> I used to get the kid cuisine ones though. Those are good. Was, oh, dude. oh my God. Those are good. Yeah. <laughs> they come with pudding. Shout out Ronnie. I want to go Ron- yeah, Ronnie. Yeah. Talk about some like uh, 90s TV dinners. Hey, yeah, I used to. Anybody to doesn't p- know uh, we're Mem- talking e- well, e- Most people probably don't know who we're talking about. Uh, he does a podcast called The 90s Nostalgia. Yes.
0: Shout out 90s, 90s Nostalgia. Great, great podcast if yes. you're in the 90s at all. Like, uh, speaking of the kids, kid cuisines, mm-hmm. these have the um, the big thing for me, they had a little thing of uh, pudding.
1: Mm. <laughs> That's the only thing I'm thinking about. That and the brownie. <laughs> or the brownie or pudding. Right.
0: You throw that shit in the microwave and you have a hot brownie? Exactly. It's like, hell yeah. So good. Hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Continue. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> so uh, his father and mother said something to to uh, to Steve, and he responded with a mumble, What? And his dad shouted, You heard me thundered up uh, and he got up from his chair pulled his belt out of his loop and uh, and it inflicted a beating that seemed never to end uh. he curled his arms around his body and he stood over her or, or i well as, as i'm going to put this i'm going to read this so in, Steve the, said in, word, in the I words. i curled my arms around my body as he stood over me like a titan and, and delivered the blows the next day i was covered in welts and wore long pants and sleeves to hide them at school this was the only incident of its kind in our family my father was never physically abusive toward my mother or her sister, and he never again physically ex- ex- or, uh, again physically extreme with me. Was never again physically extreme with me, sorry. However, this beating was, was his worsening tendencies uh, and his worsening tendencies towards rage directed at his mother, which I heard in fright through the thin walls of our home, made me resolve, or, uh, resolve with icy determination that only the most formidable relationship would exist between my father and me. Hmm. And perhaps, and for... For perhaps thirty years, neither he nor I did anything to repair the rift. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And the rest of his childhood, like they hardly spoke, and there was little that, that was said between them that was not critical, and there was little I say that he said back without with uh, w- or uh, that was not terse or mumbled.
0: That's rough. And That's... Uh, when
1: he graduated from high school, uh, his dad offered to buy him a tuxedo. But Steve refused because he, he learned from him to to reject all aid and assistance. Hmm. He detested extravagance, or Steve detested extravagance and pleaded with, with us not to give him gifts. Or... Uh Nah. Well he, he
0: didn't want yeah.
1: Well Verbatim it's it's uh he te- he detested extravagance and pleaded with us not to give him gifts. I think it was actually his father was said that. Oh, okay. So he didn't want any gifts or anything. He was like one of those guys, you know. And I actually I'm like I'm kinda of the, the same way with like at Christmas. I'm, same I'm like, way. don't give me a gift. Like, like or, you know what, give me a painting. I'm always like that. Well
0: for me it's like hang out with me. Yeah, exactly. Like I, like, I don't I don't want like material shit. Just like come hang out.
1: Yeah. But since his father was like that, um, he felt uh the that in his refusal he was a uh, he was not being he was being a good son and he and he uh, he said i wish now that i would they had let him buy me a tuxedo and that i let him be a dad mm. having cut himself off from him and by association with the rest of the family i was incurring psychological debts that would come due years later in the in the guise of romantic misconnections and a wrong-headed quest for solitude i know and, I well, know. Can you know, finish this last one? Go ahead. Go ahead. So, uh, so he, he said, "I have heard it said that uh, a complicated childhood can lead to a life in the arts." I tell you this this story of my father, and let me and let me <laughs> and me to let you know I am qualified to be a comedian. Oh, that's awesome! I, I love that's I, that that I wanted line. to get to that. I love it, that line. So, I, yeah, I want to. Uh, I'll say that one line once more because I kind of <laughs> fucked it up. I tell you the story of my father. And me to let you know I'm qualified to be a comedian. I like It's almost that. like saying like you have to be fucked up in order to get into well, this kind of business. Well, what
0: what I was kind of like getting at, yeah, from what you were talking about, like mm-hmm. that uh, I'm on that same line. Like I, I had a shit childhood. Did you? I dude, I'm not gonna get into it. Okay. I'm not gonna get into it. Yeah. Oh. But like I had a shit childhood, but mm-hmm. we do a podcast where I laugh and chuckle and yeah. and like it, like I had um. Joe Rogan says, like, some of the most interesting people come from fucked up situations. That's true. And, like, my mother died when I was seven. I'm not going to get into that. Mm. And the thing is, is, like, I didn't have a fun upcoming. Mm -hmm. But it made me an interesting person
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, well but you choose being a boring person over yeah that. yeah I don't know.
0: but it, it just like, that's a whole
1: philosophical question right yeah there.
0: but what i'm getting out on what uh-huh. you were saying is that i understand on the story of what you're talking about yeah like so that, you can
1: relate to what absolutely to, a, to him you know and it's, this is something you never knew about him
0: absolutely like my my childhood was fucked i understand the story from uh from Steve Martin, yeah. his childhood childhood was fucked. And here's the thing is, we're probably on the same note mm-hmm. that we chose to be funny. Yeah. And you, you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I get it. And yeah, like that's, because if I didn't choose to be funny, I would have been probably depressed. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you get what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. So uh, the next thing I'm going to go on to is uh, his uh, kind of career, I guess you okay. to say, at uh, Disneyland. So uh, when, he was, when they were still living in the Inglewood uh, neighborhood, their neighborhood was scheduled to be flattened by the impending construction of the San Diego freeway. <laughs>
0: oh shit.
1: Yeah. So uh, what happened next was that his father's decision uh, to move profoundly affected his life. You know Orange County, California, 45 minutes south of Inglewood was a real estate boom town created from the sprawl of Los Angeles. And it consisted of interlocking rectangles you know of orange groves and track homes and was perfectly suited for his father's profession. Do you think like, this is probably, well, it was after the baby boom, but at the time, you know, people were still, like, they're moving in, you know, Cal- they're like, oh, let's go to California, buy a yeah. home, and this is actually, probably around, well, the 50s, or early 50s, at least, uh. Or early to mid were like definitely a boom time for track yes, homes. Yes, you know, yes. you look at actually uh, one thing I think of is like Edward Scissorhands. Oh,
0: that's a good yeah. fucking point.
1: Well, I think when they filmed that, it was actually in a brand a new, a newly built like track home. Well, Edward
0: Scissorhan- Scissorhands was filmed in the eighties. Yeah, but but still, like, it's it's dark. on the same point that yeah. what you're talking about. Because mm-hmm. it, it's like uh, like you said, track homes.
1: Oh yeah. Well, I I personally hate track homes. No. And you go to we, Las we Vegas, dude. It's we like we don't have a lot of that. that was one here. thing I didn't like in Las Vegas is uh when I lived there, because um, I lived there for like thirteen years. Was I hate track homes. We don't have a lot of that here, though. No, in, in Tucson we don't. No, we, we really don't. don't. It's it's mainly a lot of like old homes, and a lot of them were built well, by, like the '50s, '60s. Like, you get
0: a lot, you get a lot of old. When homes, you get when you get further
1: out, you see more.
0: Well, that, and then you have uh, what I call uh, cookie cutter homes, mm-hmm. to where it's like the same build. Yeah. Over and over and over again. Oh yeah, but
1: yeah. So anyway, uh, so uh, so his parents purchased a brand new track home for for uh for sixteen thousand dollars. That's nothing, man. And like I so said, this is like mid fifties. Yeah, well, that's a lot. Yeah. Then. So he was ten years old at the time um, when his family moved uh, from L.A. to uh to Garden Grove. Oh
0: shit. Yeah. Makes me think. Uh, makes me think of uh, Sublime. Yeah. So and we it was took th- and that trip to Garden Grove. So. Yeah.
1: And, the, and the whole that whole area was still like pretty new for the most part. I'm sure that same yeah. home nowadays it's probably is probably going there. for about a million dollars. Yeah. If exactly. not more. I don't know how much ha- homes in uh, Orange County cost now. for Garden Grove, but we couldn't afford it. I bet that home is still around, and it's probably you know a fucking million, two million dollars. Yeah. At home. We couldn't afford it. No. Fuck <laughs> No. no there. Uh, come on, dude. <laughs> I mean, just we can at- hardly afford our homes in Arizona, <laughs> and it's cheap to live in Arizona. <laughs> so, in the summer of uh, 1955, Disneyland opened in Anaheim, California, on yeah, a day yeah. so sweltering the asphalt on Main Street was as soft as a yoga mat. Ooh, that's rough because well, we get that we get that here. Well, we did an episode on uh, Nerdy Bones actually about theme parks, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, I talked about Disneyland and that the f- the opening day was really fucked, man well the the big thing about it being so hot
0: that mm-hmm. the asphalt is soft, yeah, that's a thing that people don't realize like it's that's a thing. i don't I
1: don't know if it was like set or anything
0: well, it's like uh well and when uh, when uh, Disney well like, well like here in Tucson I can't remember well, here, <laughs> I did a
1: whole episode on it and I can't remember.
0: well like well like here in Tucson like there's uh we have motor- motorcycle parking mm And the asphalt is so hot that the motorcycle can put down their peg stand Mm. and it pushes into the asphalt. Really? You've never seen that? No, I haven't. You've never seen that? Like, literally, like next time you go anywhere, Mm -hmm. look at the motorcycle parking and there's like divots. I'll
1: look at that. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So, anyway, uh, so a few months later, a uh, school friend told him that uh, kids kids his age were being hired to sell Disneyland guidebooks on weekends. Oh, in the I've, summer. Heard, I've heard this. I've heard this. Said I couldn't wait. I pedaled my bike the two miles to Disneyland, parked it in the bike rack, and looked up to see a, a locomotive from yesteryear. Its whistle blowing loudly, and a smokestack filled with air with white steam. I love the chugging way he, I in, love the way he yeah, he writes. Chugging yeah. into the turn of the century depot, just above a giant image of Mickey Mouse rendered in vibrant colored flowers. He went to the exit, told a hand stamper that he was applying for a job and was directed towards a souvenir stand a few steps inside the main gate. He spoke with a cigar-chomping vendor named Joe and told him his resume, no experience at anything. This must have impressed Joe because he was issued a candy-striped shirt, a garter <laughs> for his sleeve, a vest with a watch pocket, a straw boater hat, and a stack of guidebooks to be sold for 25 cents each from which he was to, re- to which Steve was to receive the enormous sum of two cents per book. The two dollars in cash he earned that day made him feel like a millionaire.
0: Oh, dude. Like, think,
3: uh, how, old, what, <laughs> how old was he?
1: He was 10 years old. Shh. This is for, like, you know, you know, you couldn't... Well, you obviously couldn't have a kid 10 years old working oh, nowadays. Because yeah. <laughs> I think you said... It'd you, be
0: a bad thing. <laughs> didn't he say
1: uh, lax child labor laws <laughs> mm-hmm. at one point? There? I read that. So anyway, uh, guidebooks were uh, only sold in the morning thousands of people poured through the gates and by noon he was done but he didn't have to leave he had free admission to the park that's
0: awesome
1: well that's cool you well you think well you think like uh he was able to go and ride all the rides though but actually at the time in disneyland you actually had to tickets to certain parts of the park okay there were free there you know there were free attractions where you could get in and you know just go to those and and do them but if you wanted to do like certain things you had to have like a you know, a B ticket or a C ticket or whatever. Okay. To go and do certain attractions. And, uh, uh, where am I going there? So, uh, Disneyland and the idea of it seemed uh, so glorious that he believed. Uh, Could
0: you imagine a child, Steve Martin, 10 years old, at Disneyland? Dude. <laughs> imagine yourself at Disneyland 10 years old. I've never been. I've never uh,
1: been. It's pretty, it's pretty fun, man. Yeah. Well, as long as you're not dealing with that, well, which we pretty much always are of like, you know, fucking tons and tons of people around you. <laughs> so anyway, Disneyland and the idea of it seems so glorious that he believed it should be some far away impossible to visit Shangri-La, <laughs> not two miles from the house where he was about to grow up. Um, and with with its uh, pale blue cla- castle flying pendants emblazoned with a made-up Disney family crest, its, pers- its precise gardens and horse-drawn carriages maintained to jewel box perfection. Just to paint a picture of what Disneyland like, was like to him.
0: Well, and that's what he was feeling when he was there. Yeah. I mean, like, well, that's...
1: the way he described it is Disneyland was his Versailles. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and he became a regular employee at age 10. Yeah, go on to the next part. Where do I, what do I got, Mark, next? <laughs> next. So uh, though his mother provided 50 cents uh, for lunch, um, the big difference in his life was that uh, he was uh, self-reliant and funded. Like I talked about with the whole part about like him never taking credit from anyone. Mm-hmm. She would give him money for lunch, but he was like, "No,", no. like he. I think he he'd take it, but yeah. Well, she because she would give it to him, but and it was like to buy like, with the way he put it was a was a grilled cheese sandwich for thirty five cents and a large uh, cherry phosphate with a genuine red dye number two cherry <laughs> for fifty for fifteen cents, but he kind of didn't want it. He said it was proud. He was prou- a. He want to put. Uh, I want to put. I want to say this. Uh, he was so proud to be employed that son, that some years later, still at Disneyland, he harbors secret sense of superiority over his teenage uh, peers who had suntans because it knew it meant they weren't working. Oh my god! Because he worked there for a long time, actually.
0: Well, he had a job. He started
1: when he was ten.
0: Yeah, he had a job. Like when? When was your first job?
1: I think it was 15. I started at Subway washing dishes, which yeah. I'm actually doing right now. I
0: started at Subway when I was 14 Full circle, man. 14 years old. Yeah.
1: Can you still get a job at 14?
0: No. I don't think so. It's illegal. Is it? I, uh, yeah. What, you got to be 16 now. It's the it's the child uh, child work act or something huh. like that. Do you but you 16 like, now or Well, I think it's 16. Yeah. But but I started at Subway or yeah, Subway when I was fourteen, mm. worked at Subway till I was twenty-eight, yeah, and then moved into the job I have now.
1: Mm. <laughs> Do you kind of wish you would have stayed at Subway? No. no, no, you don't think you'd be a store manager by now? And uh, be doing
0: better? I wouldn't be making the money that I am now. Yeah, and are you sure? And no, I'm sure. Okay, I'm sure. Okay, I just wanted to ask. It's um, Subway is a thing mm. that uh, it's kind of a being a big part of it and mm. the. Li- the early 90s and understanding what it is, mm-hmm. it's a cancer. Yeah. It's not. No, I get it. I worked,
1: not, at, I worked for cola for uh, yeah, eight years, it's, and not, it's a cancer. It's not a good thing. Most miserable it, yeah. time of my life, honestly. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <yeah>. Anyway. <laughs> we always got to throw a little bit of ourselves in. <laughs> Which will be like, I'm coming here for the knowledge. I'm like, yeah, but we're still going to talk about ourselves. <laughs> but that's what makes it interesting. Right. It? That's why it's Nerdy mode, so. That's right. So a few years later, uh, after his... Uh, after he stopped selling uh selling guidebooks he said perhaps at 13 and uh he, he cuz he was too old <laughs> too oh, old to at 13 sell, to sell guidebooks yeah he, and uh but he became a rope t- uh rope trick demons, uh, demonstrator oh okay yeah, fitting in as much work as he could around uh his <laughs> C average <laughs> high school studies like what pops what, what pops into my head is like
0: people doing like uh Hopscotch like hip, 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 yeah yeah <laughs>
1: well yeah and you know, it's like he was st- he was thirteen but he was still going to school and working at the same time that's awesome yeah
0: that's awesome
1: and so uh so two places uh captivated the most and uh, one was Merle- Merlin's magic shop and the other was uh, Pepsi Cola's Garden Horseshoe we, Review in Frontierland
0: we talked about this like his Did we? uh, well you and I before recording mm. talking about like his uh, love for magic yeah so continue so
1: that. um. So yeah, it was the review in Frontierland where uh, this guy, where a guy named uh, Wally Bogue, B O A G. So I might be saying it wrong, but Bogue. I want to go with the first comedian he ever saw in person. Uh, piled a hilarious trade of gags and offbeat skills such as gun twirling and balloon animals. <laughs> yeah, which is you know and that's actually something Steve Martin uses act years yeah. later was, was doing balloon animals. Yeah. So um, so the admission price there was uh, always free to everyone. Made him a regular. You know, because he, like I said, he would get off early and go and he'd just go and run the park. And here he had his first lessons in performing. And uh, though he was never on stage, he absorbed Wally Bogue's timing, saying his next line in his head. Oh my yeah. god! And took the audience response as though it were his, because he would just he'd repeat it, like he'd just say his lines, and while everything was going on. And uh, he studied where the, big la- where the big laughs were, learned how Wally got the small ones, and saw tiny nuances that kept the well, thing he alive it. between lines. Well, he
0: was studying the art of comedy. Exactly. Yeah.
1: When he was, yeah, 13. I'm guessing he was 13 at this moment when he was talking about it. Um, and his fantasy was that one day Wally would be sick with the flu, and a desperate stage manager would come out and ask <laughs> the audience if there was an adolescent boy who could possibly fill in. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's Is lady. there a doctor yeah. in the house? it's like the whole thing of, like, uh, you know, you look at, like, rock stars, it's like, you know, every, every like, person who's, like, a huge fan of such-and-such such band really mm-hmm. hopes one day, like, oh, this guy got hurt on stage. Like, is there anybody who knows how to play? Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, it's like, is there a doctor in yeah, the house? Yeah, is there a doctor in the uh, house type yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, if there was an actual doctor Well, stage, that's...
0: I, I use that phrase as a um, caveat. It's mm-hmm. like, if you are going to see your favorite thing, and, like, it's like, for me, like, it's, mm-hmm. um go to my favorite like hardcore metal concert. Yeah, the singer gets sick and is like, there's anybody that can yeah. come up here and do this. So yeah. like I'd be like, me. Yeah. <laughs> right? right. So is there a doctor in the house? It's it's a it's a uh bugs money type joke. Yeah. It's like what when you say is there a doctor in the house, is it like, is there anybody that can come do this? Fill in. Yeah. 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 But continue.
1: So uh Merlin's Magic Shop was the next best thing to cheering audiences at the golden horseshoe. And tricks were demonstrated in front of crowds of two or three people. And uh, 20-year-old Jim Barlow took the concept of a joke shop far beyond what Disney brass would have officially allowed. <laughs> Except it was clear that the customers enjoyed his kidding. <laughs> 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 and this guy was a huge influence on him. So Jim, uh, Jim's greeting to browsers was, can I take your money? I mean, help you. <laughs> 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 All right, let me, let me, I could probably say that with better delivery. Can I, can, uh, can I, can I take your money? Uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Can I help you? <laughs> <laughs> and after sale, he would say, "Lally, this trick is guaranteed to break before you get home." Oh
0: my god! Yeah, that's comedy,
1: dude. Yeah, that's I think I actually comedy. bought something. Might have bought something once at like the magic shop in Disneyland. I've never been. Never yeah, been. I've never been. So uh, he he loitered in the shop so often that Jim and uh, and Steve became buddies. And and uh, he memori- and Steve memorized his routines, and he wanted more than ever to be a magician. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Well, you see, like you know, when he was younger, he got the magic set Mm -hmm. and he memorized it. But then, you know, he started finally getting into magic at Disneyland. You know, when someone was like kind of a professional, even though they were only like doing it for like two or three people at a time.
0: Well, like you look at a lot of his sets, there there was a lot of like magic involved. Oh yeah. Like his like early sets Mm -hmm. was like just little magic tricks. I'll get into that a little later. Actually,
1: I'll talk about it. So at home, um, he perused magic catalogs for hours. You know, like he just. He dreamed of owning you know, just these crazy tricks that mm. he could just never afford, and he had fantasies of levitation and awesome power. Me and too. <laughs> with no Harry Potter to be compared to, <laughs> his store-bought tricks could go a long way towards making him feel special. With any spare money he had, he bought tricks, memorized their accompanying standard platter, and assembled a magic show that he per- would perform for anyone who would watch, mostly his parents and their uh, tolerant bridge partners. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Like they're so, having card games, and their son was like, "I'm gonna come out and do a
1: trick." Yeah. Well, it's like, hey, like let my kid do yeah. this. Like, hey, just la- just laugh and clap. Yeah. yeah and just, just, just indulge. But him. when you're when you're a kid, you're like, oh shit, they like it. Well, you know, yeah, you don't. Yeah. You're, you're kind of naive.
0: Well, like uh, real quick before mm. you keep going, yeah. Like uh, one of my favorite shows lately is uh Master Chef. Yeah. And uh, the one thing I started watching today. Was Master Chef Junior. Okay, to where it's just kids cooking, All right. and they're not mean mm-hmm. like the ju- like. I Gor- think i have
1: seen that with like yeah the Gordon Ramsay, Gor- when, Gordon Ramsay. He's with, when he's with kids and he's like kind of nice. Yeah, which well, is weird. Well, like,
0: like even if what they cook sucks, yeah, he's like okay, this is what you did. This is what you did right. Yeah, and this is what I would have done.
1: Well I heard, well, know, I we talked we've talked about Kevin Hart before in uh, Phil philosophical bones mm-hmm. cuz um but he talked about how when it, when it comes to uh, children Dude, if, you, 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 if you yell at them um they're not ever going to listen to what you have to say. Yeah, you got to be encouraging. You got to really actually talk to them. Yeah, you got to be encouraging. With a calm voice. And we, <laughs> I mean we're saying this we're neither one of us are parents. No. But no, I've always not. been of that opinion too. Of like you know what it, there's no point in yelling at a kid. Yeah. It's just showing it like, hey, you're pissed off. Like, hey, I need to stop. Like, uh, yeah.
0: Well, I didn't mean to like derail, but like what I was getting yeah. at, what I was getting at it was, uh, you're talking about uh, Steve, mm-hmm. like showing his magic to yeah. adults yeah. and adults not like that sucks. That's.
1: Well, they never did that. Yeah. You know? Not that you said anyway. So, so to get back to it. So anyway, uh, one afternoon he was in the audience at the Golden Horseshoe. When he blacked out and collapsed. What? Yeah, he said, "I remember uh, my head striking the table. A few seconds later, I was sitting uh, back up, but unnerved. Nobody well, how noticed." How old was he when that happened? Uh, I don't know. Okay, Go he ahead. was probably like 13, though, uh, Okay. Around there. That's at least where the timetable he's giving. So nobody noticed, but uh, so he remembered this incident. He uh, reported this incident to his mother, and she uh, she called a doctor um, who lived next door. And and uh, and honestly, what was it? He asked, it, it was a thump in his chest, and he said test confirmed that a heart mur- that he had a heart murmur. Really? I yeah. didn't know that. More spookily as- expressed, as he puts it, as a prolapsed mitral valve. Hmm. A mostly benign uh, mal- <laughs> maligned, uh, malady, is spell, the way he put it? Sp- spell it. M-A-L-A-D-Y, malady. Okay. Uh, that, he, that was predicted to go away as he aged. It did... But planted in him a seed of hypochondria that poisoned oh, that poisonously really? bloomed years later. Yeah,
0: I didn't know he was a hypo- hypochondriac. I never no. knew that either.
1: Actually, that's one that's one cool thing about this
0: book. Uh, no idea.
1: Well, I'm I'm reading it to you, so you don't have to. <laughs> 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 so after uh, poor so at this time he was he was doing the rope tricking. So after poor sales ended his uh, rope tricking days, he spent a year away, uh, year working away from the from the action as he puts it, in the sheet metal gray storage room of Tiki's Tropical Imports in Adventureland. Hmm. Where he pinned finger piercing price tags onto straw hats. Say <laughs> it
0: again. Say it again.
1: <laughs> where he pinned finger piercing price tags onto straw hats. <laughs> okay. Okay. So he was working in the back room like putting price tags uh, on okay. hats. You know, he was working but he was working in the back room. He wasn't dealing with people for a year. So uh, he had heard it. So eventually he had, he had heard rumors of a job opening at the magic shop and longing to be free of the sunless warehouse, he went over and, and uh, applied, successfully applied, and uh, making that day the happiest of his life so far. And, That's awesome. Uh, so I'm guessing he's 14 by now. So, I, so he began his show business career for a few days later at age 15. <laughs> oh, <there laughs> I totally got yeah. that wrong. Age 15 in August of 1960. And uh, let's see where I got this. So he stood behind a, a counter eight hours a day shuffling uh, some, some uh, Svengali decks. Svengali. Svengali, I know that. Decks. I know what that is. Yeah. Manipulating wizard decks. Yeah. And, and mental photo- photography. Svengali cards.
0: Svengali was like, uh, here's a quick little note. Hmm. Svengali is the guy that created the ra- the, uh, the rabbit and the hat trick. Really? Yeah, okay. that's crazy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I just know that.
1: <laughs> so, and he was also performing the cup and balls trick on a regular, uh, on a rectangle a rectangular cup, cu- cup and what? Uh, the cup and balls trick. <laughs> I just want to say on a rectangle, a padded. I was rectangle. trying to make you
0: say balls again, but go ahead. <laughs> so, a few
1: customers would gather, usually a young couple on a date or a mom and dad with with kids, and he would try his first jokes, all lifted from from uh, from Jim's funny uh, funny patter, as he put it. Say it again. Jim's funny patter. Okay. Okay. And he had his first audience that wasn't friends or family. And on his weekends or, uh, and holidays, uh, they were now spent long hours at Disneyland made possible by lax child labor laws from his high school. <laughs> That's actually where I found the lax child labor laws thing. And, uh, which assigned no homework. And at closing time, he would stock the shelves, sweep the floor, count the register, and then bicycle home in the dark. Oh, man. So, yeah, that was one cool thing. Like When he was in high school, he, he, he described himself as a C student but at the same time it was like they didn't assign any homework so it was really easy for him to go through school and yeah. he just and, he, and honestly he just didn't give a shit well this was the same he 70s. was more he was more interested in entertaining too yeah well, well, 70, I, no it was, it was the
0: 50s 50s and I really oh, had did I say 19, no. well I had really 19, it was
3: 1960 by now
0: I had really no idea that he had a love for magic mm-hmm. I didn't know that you was, knew he did magic. Well, I know that he did, but I didn't realize it was such a big part of him growing up.
1: Oh, yeah. So let's see. Uh, I got to find out where I'm going next. <laughs> 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 I got a few pages to flip through. So, uh, so because he was demonstrating tricks to 12 uh, or at tricks uh, 8 to 12 hours a day, he got better and better. And uh, he was able to afford more professional equipment. And uh, he put together a magic act complete with music. They would like get a friend <laughs> to play on the record form and like he knew when to drop it and all, like, drop oh, the e man, and all that's that. Because they were still using the records and all that. So uh, Jim Barlow, uh, well, you know, who's his manager at the magic shop, uh, connected him to a, nec- a network of debt.
0: Have you ever been to a magic shop? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Dude. It is pretty. cool. <laughs> sorry, continue. I'm sorry.
1: I probably bought stuff from there. Like, oh, what the hell was I doing? <laughs> so connecting him to a ne- network of a uh, Cub Scout troops seeking entertainment. And the minuscule prestige from his magic shop gig enabled him to work for free, or sometimes for $5 at local uh, Kiwanis, I want to say, is, is what it's called, Kiwanis Club. Okay. K-I-W-A-N-I-S. Oh, okay. So, But he was now performing at the hectic pace of one show every two or three months. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, uh, so the, uh, Wally, Wally Bogue, um, like I said from the, uh, from the review, the rope trick and all that, and the comedy and all that, would uh, lend him his copies of uh, Robert Orban's joke books filled with musty one-liners from other comedians' <laughs> acts. But to, but to Steve, they were as new as, as uh, Sunrise. These books were like the Bible, and he scoured them for usable passages.
0: Musty one-liners,
1: yeah, I like musty that. Musty one-liners, yeah. So, uh, but he did have a life outside of Disneyland, and had been uh, attending uh, Rat- Rancho Alamitos High School, but in the fall of 1962, re- re- redistricting moved him, uh, moved him across town to Garden Grove High School. Redistrict, redistricting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I yeah. was saying, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, <you have> <laughs> hard time saying that, man? Redistricting. Redistricting. <laughs> redistricting. <laughs> Where he was happy to discard his old personality and adopt a new one defined by the word of the day, nonconformist. Mm. So on his first day of school, when uh, was when uh, he saw the the face of God. The Don Walsh Auditorium seated 1,500 people and it's and its interior narrowed like a funnel to focus all eyes on its polished hardwood stage. And mm. I want to say he actually put up like a full like paragraph description in like how much really? he loved this place. He's like he goes into like the wood and the curtains and all that. That's but I'm like, cool. But from uh from what he said from there from there was he's a, he said, I knew I wanted to be up there rather than down here. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. So when Claude Plum asked him to appear in a vaudeville show featuring Wally Bogue, um or er, coincidentally staged at this auditorium, his heart leaped. He he said, I was young I was to perform a, a five minute act billed as Steve Martin Young and Magic. Oh, <laughs> you know? oh man. And in an in, in evening uh in an evening show for Wally's fans, the program appeared from the printer with a perfect uh precedent typo. <laughs> Steve Martin Mouth and Magic
0: (laughs) Mouth I've actually heard of that
1: Yeah He said I couldn't judge how it went Since it was my first show In front of a sizable audience But I don't remember A standing ovation (laughs) 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 Uh, The daily excitement Of his life at Disneyland And high school Was in stark contrast To his life at home though Silent family dinners The general taboo Of free talk And opinion His father's uh, Unpredictable temper And the stubborn grudges He collected And held toward him meant that the family never gelled oh yeah uh, but when uh but when he but when steve was away from uh from home um him and his uh high school friends uh, enjoyed endless conversation and laughter and his enthusiasm for what he was doing working at disneyland climbing with friends and being swept up in the early rock and roll of am radio uh, made life seem joyful and limitless hmm so um yeah, but he actually, he really loved his lot, job at Disneyland. Yeah, a lot.
0: well, I'm, I'm getting a lot of that. Yeah, he loved like...
1: working there, but he, it's like his family life sucked. When he was home, <sighs> he fucking hated it, but when he was out, he, he loved it. Maybe that was why he was working eight, ten hours a day at Disneyland. That's, you know? If
0: I had a job at Disneyland. Doing and, what he was doing. And I, I would be there for eight, ten hours a well, day. Well, depending on what you're doing. because <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, You see, I, there's actually employees at Disneyland who can't really survive off of what they're making. Well, it's yeah. really crazy. There's... There's always a CD side to shit. Yeah, I'm like, sorry I had to bring it down like that. <laughs> Disneyland is such a magical place. No, it's it's magical. awesome. Until cool. you until you find out what the employees are paying. You're cool. like like this is a multi-like billion dollar corporation. Why the fuck are they not paying their employees, yeah. right?
0: Like a Disneyland employee in my mind should not have to struggle. Like no. It, like I think you,
1: they I think Disneyland finally started to do something about it. But yeah. In Disneyland Disney World, but it's it's it can be kind of fucked.
0: Well, like uh, my big thing is, uh, no. I, I, it, I forget what it's called. It's uh, it's this new Star Wars thing.
1: What know. the, the Rise a, of Skywalker?
0: N- no, it's like a full area. Oh, oh, Galaxy's Edge. Galaxy's Edge, yeah. dude. Like, I want to go to that oh, yeah. so bad. Me too. So it's packed bad.
1: as fuck when it opens, though.
0: Yeah, I want to go to that so bad.
1: <laughs> anyway, you're getting off track, man. Yeah. F- anyway, good. I'm we sorry like, for hearing much of squeaking on this episode. Uh, I got a new chair. Cheers, here. cheers. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm
0: like trying to make a squeak and it won't happen. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> <Go dryness.
1: laughs> so when when he moved out of the house at 18, he rarely called home to check up on his parents or tell them how he was doing. And why? The answer. Uh, th- this is the way he puts it actually. Um, why? The answer shocked me as I write it. I didn't know I was supposed to. Oh wow. Well, I well even when actually I I moved out of my house. Um, I don't know, it took that me makes a, sense. It actually took me sense. a while to move out. Um, I think I was like maybe twenty two when I moved out. My I, place. I was eighteen. Or, or my parents' like, place. I, I was
0: eighteen, but like my dad was like al- almost angry. Yeah. When I left. well
1: when I moved out, it was uh, I mean I was happy to move out honestly. Um, but I would call my I call my dad once a month. I would really wouldn't call ever call my mom. Yeah. guess I can't fucking stand my mother. <laughs> so uh so yeah so yeah let's see 18 at a time so uh things were changing at, at the magic shop though so um his manager at the time left to, to consult an intelligence show and our store uh needed a new manager so uh they hired a guy named dave stewart and uh who was a he was a former vaudevillian who had worked the circus with the magic act and, uh, <coughs> Sorry, I gotta find my next place. So Dave Stewart's uh, story is really intrigued How him. How
0: dare you need to take a second? I know to see I gotta I gotta I fl- I gotta turn the page. And everything. <laughs> How Sorry. dare you?
1: So his, his stories intrigued him, and he developed an interest in the history. And uh, well, Steve developed an, history, uh, an interest in the history of vaudeville, and he read up on the subject, studying uh, Joe Laurie's book Vaudeville, and was uh, captivate, captivated by its descriptions of, of uh, each old time act. And it mentioned the Cherry Sisters, and it was uh, here that he that Steve first heard. An act described as so bad it was good. <laughs> and The five screeching sisters elicited booze and vegetables from the audience, and yet still made it to Broadway. A concept that uh, the off-pitch singer uh, Miss Miller succeeded with in the 60s, and, the, and that Andy Kaufman took to the limit in the 80s.
0: Thank you very much.
1: That's why I, that's, that's why <laughs> I wanted to mention that part. So, uh, The Main Street Shop sold magic books, uh, rarely purchased. But he uh, he found a sh- he found a book on a on a shelf on a, on a shelf that was pretty much gathering dust, uh, and it was a yellow cover that caught his eye. This book turned out to be uh, more important to him than The Catcher in the Rye. Hmm. It was a uh, Daryl Fizky's Showman. The name of the book was called Showmanship for Magicians, and it was first published in 1943. Wow. And he actually, he kind of, he came to find out later that coincidentally, uh, he actually being a distant relative by marriage. What? Yeah. Wow. And uh, so uh, the internet bio actually reads for this guy. So uh, born in Annawa, Illinois, pen name of uh, Daryl Fitzroy, acoustical engineer in San Rafael, California, semi-pro magician, toured an, uh, toured an unsuccessful full evening show, 1939 to 40, reportedly dropped magic in disgust. Or in <laughs> disgust. In, in disgust. <laughs> yeah. That was the internet bio that was given. So you fucking hate this shit. Yeah. So, But uh, Showmanship and Magic is a handbook meant to turn amateurs into professionals. Its subtitle is Complete uh, Discussions of Audience Appeals and Fundamentals of Showmanship and Presentation. Hmm. So uh, Fitz, Fitsky, uh, started by, uh started the book out by denigrating the current state of magic, saying it was old-fashioned. Though published in 1943, this statement contains an enduring truth. All entertainment is or is about to become old-fashioned. Oh wow! There is room, he implies, for something new, and I really loved that. Actually, yeah, I love. So this guy I was like saying in 1943 that magic was old and tired. <laughs> I mean, when was Houdini? Uh,
0: 34.
1: 34. So but, you know, like, you know, nine years after Houdini, he was saying like, old yeah. magic was old, and tired. And honestly, well, he was probably pretty well, much we're, right. We're was,
0: still still talking about Houdini, though. We are, but at the t-
1: but even like. You know, the, that was really the golden age of magic, though, at the
0: time. Mm, yes, it was. You know,
1: like, such and such the great, then,
0: Oh, yeah, like, uh, like yeah. Um, you know, we're, uh, we are still
1: amazed by magicians, but it's not anywhere close to what it was. Well,
0: the thing about magicians now is that they push the envelope of stuff that, like, because there's been so many things that have been like, uh, okay, that's how they did this trick.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, you know, like, you got, like, uh, the guy, I, I'm drawing a blank, the guy that did uh, Death by Magic. Mm-hmm. He's fucking amazing. Yeah. He's fucking amazing. Hmm. Chris Angel. I'm sorry. You can hate on me if you want, but Chris Angel. He's a good showman. He's. I'll good. give you that. He he's is good. A good. He's a good showman. He's good. And there's there's just a there's a lot of magicians out there mm-hmm. that are uh, are still good. Oh yeah. But anyway, I'm not I'm not uh, dissing
1: magic by any uh, means. No no
0: no no no. That's just like where. But my brain
1: I pretty what this guy was trying to say was uh, you need to come up with something new. Right. Right. You know? You need to, you need to push push uh, what you're doing. Push so, push the envelope. So anyway, so Fitzky then goes on to break down a show into elements such as music, rhythm, comedy, sex appeal, personality, and selling yourself. And he concludes that attention to each is vital and necessary. Why not throw everything in the book at the audience like an opera does? Costumes, lights, music, everything. He also t- talks about something that w- that was to land on uh, on Steve with a thud six years later: the importance of originality. Mm. So what? you know in quotes so what i thought at at the time quote unquote who cares <laughs> he didn't he didn't know it he he just he didn't think anything of it at the time
0: well it was it was the sign of the times
1: you know so like don't you don't need to be original like pfft. we're just
0: a couple like, no wild no one cares we're just a
1: couple wild
0: you know? and crazy guys we want that we want <laughs> we
1: want to watch a big bang theory you know and, and be entertained nah. and all or we want to watch a, the 19th season of NCIS it's just like <laughs>
0: it's just like whatever's out just, we'll just I don't
1: watch know. What, it. Is NCIS even still on? I don't fucking know. I don't know. Law and Order season fucking thirty-five. <laughs> law,
0: law and Order Special Victims, uh, whatever. Of comedy, <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> I might actually watch that.
0: <laughs> oh my god! Speci-
1: special, special. There was a drive-by comedy. clowning. <laughs> it, it was a
0: drive-by clowning, dude. Oh my god,
1: dude. My child that, is scarred. <laughs> that's funny. I'm sorry. That's funny, dude. <laughs> that might actually be something Steve Martin would have a Joke Steve Martin would have made. <laughs> oh Sorry, my. sir. There was a drive-by clowning.
0: It was a drive-by clowning. <laughs> you know? It was a run-by fruiting. That's
1: yeah. uh, that, that's uh, Robin Williams. Yeah, but. it well it actually sounds very similar to what like, yeah Robin Williams or even Steve Martin would have said. <laughs> by the way, uh, just to mention again, we are doing a, a ne- Robin Williams next month. Yep. Yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing
0: that. Oh, dude. Uh, yeah. So, Although, uh, just uh, before you keep going, uh-huh. the book I'm. <laughs> the book I'm shit. The, uh, book- the book I'm starting with is called Robin. Yeah. So, yeah. I thought you were
1: gonna mention, like why, like why we poop or something. Or... <laughs> What's the name of that book? <laughs> we all poop. We all poop. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm glad we're. <laughs> I'm sorry, no one else is laughing about this. But... <laughs> we are. Well, we, this is awesome. To... <laughs> yeah, so we all poop. Yeah, we haven't laughed as much. Since the start. <laughs> So get more back to uh, Steve Martin again. <laughs> he poops too. He does poop too. <laughs> <laughs> so following the advice of uh, showmanship and magic, he uh, he like Steve kept uh, records of how each gag played after his local shows for Cub Scouts, or the club or the Kiwanis Club. So excellent or big laugh or quiet, and he'd write in the uh, in the margins of of, uh, of his book. Then, and then then he would summarize how he could make the show better next time. Mm. The response, uh, the nice response to a few gags, had uh, planted a planted, nagging, thought that contradicted his uh, magical magical goals. They love it when the trick doesn't work, or when the tricks don't work. Mm. And uh, he started to think um, that the future of serious, um, the future of a serious magician was limited. Plus, he was priced out of the market by the impossible cost of advanced stage illusions. Song a lady in half, two hundred dollars. By doing comedy, though, however, he could be more like Stan Laurel and Jack Benny, mm, okay. more like Wally Bogue. So that's kind of cool. Like he kind of, yeah, he kind of realized like he kind of couldn't do what he wanted. I mean, he, I mean, he loved he loved magic, but it was just. It was kind of... Well, he's, start,
0: he's starting to realize, like, what sells.
1: Well, also, the fact that, like, when he talks about, like, people actually enjoyed the fact that I when I fucked a trick up more than when I got it right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's definitely a very, like... Uh, well, was, Jack Benny. What do they call it? Like, an aha moment or something? Yeah. Um, so at the time, uh, the magic shop gave him a taste of performing and convinced him that he, he never wanted to wait on customers again. <laughs> so, uh, and he didn't have the patience, uh, his... He, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to read verbatim with this. I didn't have the patience. My smile was pla- becoming plastered on. I then crossed all kinds of jobs off my list of potentials, such as waiting tables or working in stores or driving trucks. How could my delicate fingertips, now dedicated to the swift execution of the two handed pass, clutch the heavy, callus inducing steering wheel of a 10 ton semi? <laughs> wow. Yeah. And uh, but there was a problem at age 18. He had absolutely no gifts. (laughs) He could not sing or dance, and the only thing, and and the only um, acting, he played
0: the fuck out of the banjo though. I'm getting that actually. Okay, go
1: ahead. So the only thing uh, he did was was really just shouting. Uh, Thankfully. (laughs) He, uh, his perseverance is a great substitute for talent. <laughs> I should say. <laughs>
0: substitute for talent. Yeah, I
1: should say. Per- perseverance is a great substitute for talent. That's a great line, It so. is, actually. Um, and having been motivated by Earl Scruggs when of Foggy Mountain Breakdown, he learned barely to play the banjo. He was
0: good at the banjo. It's funny how oh, you mention the banjo. Well, well, he has a band.
1: Well, no, he's great now. Yeah, he has a band. But at the time, yeah, he wasn't really a banjo player. So uh, he taught himself by slowing down banjo records and on, on his turntable and picking out the songs note by note. Wow. And the only place to pra- but the only place to practice was, it was <laughs> without antagonizing everyone in the house was in his car, parked on the street with the windows <laughs> rolled up, even in the middle of August. And he, he said he could also juggle passively. <laughs>
0: juggle passively.
1: Passively. So despite a lack of, uh, lack of natural abilities... He did have one element necessary to all early creati- creativity, naivety.
0: Naiv naiv naivety. Naivety. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that uh, fabulous quality that keeps you from knowing just how unsuited you are for what you were about to do. <laughs> I actually really loved that. It is that's a good line, dude. Mm, sorry, I'm gonna um. Ooh. And after uh, graduation, he uh, half-heartedly applied. To, uh, and was accepted to Santa Ana Junior College where he took drama classes and pursued an unexpected interest in English poetry. Hmm. And uh, he had heard about uh, a theater at Disney... Disneyland's uh, friendly starting uh, driving rival Knott's Berry Farm, back which also it. we covered in the theme parks episode. Mm-hmm. In back to dis-
0: back to Disney- Disneyland. Yeah. I was like trying to say it for a second. Disneyland, but Knott's
1: be Berry Farm. Uh, they need entertainers with short acts, and uh, one afternoon he successfully auditioned with a thin magic act at a small theater on the grounds, making this the second happiest day of his life so far. That's awesome, dude. And uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's what I uh, have for that. At, well, at the moment, nice. that's kind of like the end of the, like a the little bit of a chapter nice, right there. You nice, know, Going from man. Disneyland and he
0: was a kid. A, a good chapter of uh, Steve Martin's life, yeah. and and the that. Kind of speaks to how much we love comedians. Yeah, that, like that we, I
1: love just telling this story because I'm like I really. Well, yeah, we love telling. I'm stories. very much interested in um, just how he became who he became. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because you look at him now and just he's just a master of
0: comedy. Yeah, like one of my favorites is uh, the man with two brains.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> well, see, but that's more that's his movie career. Oh, yeah, I'm going. I'm talking to Stan. Yeah, right? well,
0: it, here's the thing: is like I know him. You you know him. Mm-hmm. Anybody knows Steve Martin. You, like you say the name Steve Martin, anybody knows that name.
1: I mean, you oh, keep saying anybody or anyone. <laughs> well, <laughs> well,
0: anybody, like anybody, knows the name of Steve Martin, like in any capacity.
1: I mean, like, like, you, you like could, anyone who's a fan of comedy. Well,
0: yeah, you could go to your neighbor and say the name Steve Martin, and they'd be like, oh,
1: yeah, the. Oh, uh planes, Trains, in Automobiles*. Actually. Yeah, there you go. That's a great one. I I, I was thinking today about uh, him in in that movie, and it was like, I need a fucking car, you know, <laughs> fucking this and fucking that. He just said fuck like twenty times in that segment, and they were like, oh my god.
0: My my big one is uh is uh. I can't believe
1: Steve Martin said fuck so many times because you look at him and he's like a dad. Yeah. He's been well, and also he's been.
0: He's, well, he's had gray. hair. He's had gray
1: hair since like the fucking seventies, man. Yeah. yeah.
0: He's a, he's always been a gray haired guy. Oh yeah, dude. I, and I, I just remember like uh, my big one for me is that we're just a couple wild and crazy guys, yeah. and th- that just makes me laugh. You know, like <laughs> they're like characters from like Norway or something like that. Yeah, and they they. It would, and like they walk in and they're doing this. You oh guys, yeah, you guys can see me well, and up like, and down. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, We're just a couple of wild and
1: crazy guys. <laughs> so now I'm gonna get into uh the, his his days at the Birdcage Theater. Oh okay. I'm sorry, this fucking chair is annoying the shit out of me. By the you way, you said
0: theater again.
1: <laughs> how do you how would you say it? Theater. Theater. <laughs> I say theater. Is that what you're saying? Right? Yeah. Oh, I I put the er.
0: You know let's well, You emphasize. No, oh, because it, well, it's T
1: it, R E, not T E R. Theater. Yeah. theater. Theater. You said theater. 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 Go ahead. Sorry. That's just the way I fucking say it. <laughs> Megan gives me a lot of shit about this, too. Go ahead. God damn you. God damn you, man. God damn me. <laughs> so during the 60s, uh, the uh the five hand painted uh, place card in front of the birdcage theater at Knott's Berry Farm. You actually... said theater, you did it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's just the way I'm gonna fucking say it. That's no, the way you, I... set... you said it right. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so, well, it said actually, uh, the birdcage theater at Knott's Berry Farm read the world's greatest entertainment, but it was missing. <laughs> it was actually missing an N. So it was it was, it was like, enter- entertainment, <laughs> not entertain. Entertainment. It was entertainment. 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 <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> entertainment. It was overlooked by the staff, audience, of visitor for an entire decade. <laughs> <laughs> so he worked there uh, between the ages of 18 and 22 as an actor in uh, melodramas. And, uh, I got I to gotta, I gotta flip my pages. Uh-huh. So his, perfor- his uh, first performance uh, for a paying audience were actually at the Birdcage, a wooden theater with a canvas roof inside two... Uh, Inside, two hundred folding chairs sat on risers, and a thrust Masonite stage sat behind a patch of fake grass. Um, the actors swept the stage, uh, raised and lowered the curtains, cleaned the house of trash, and went to the on on the grounds, pitching the show to visitors strolling through the park. And uh, he was being paid two dollars a show, twenty five shows a week. Even in nineteen sixty three, the rate was considered low. <sighs> oh,
3: sorry, <laughs> we'll go ahead and burp there.
1: Um, so the show consisted of a 25-minute uh, melodrama in which the audience was encouraged to cheer the hero and boo the villain. Um, and the play was followed by 10-minute uh, O-L-I-O, O-L-I-O uh, segments involving two five-minute routines where the actors did their spe- specialities, usually songs or short comedy acts. Um and uh, the birdcage was the first place where he was able to work stri- steadily on, on his magic axe six minutes a time, four, four times a day, five on a Sunday, for three years. Wow. Yeah. So uh, the birdcage was nor- a, was, uh, actually I got a good joke. Um, <laughs> so one thing I'm gonna go to next is, uh, since we're in Tucson, so, so uh, there was a joke that, uh, would, would, that, somebody would, that one of the actors would tell and it was, uh, and it said, "You're from Tucson." I spent a week there one night. Oh my God! <laughs> say, say, say it again. Just... You're from Tucson. I spent a week there one night. Oh, fuck. sorry, and it's not the greatest joke, but
0: uh, it, it hits on it, it, it. hits home. Yeah, that's it, uh,
1: just what I wanted to tell because he he, he included. In the book? it he that's included, in the book. Yeah, he included it in the book. Oh my God! It was a uh, yeah, was, uh, George Scott. <laughs> we told the joke.
0: I spent a week there one night. I'm sorry, that's just funny. You're from Tucson.
1: I spent a week there one night. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, four paying customers in, in the house. Uh, that's so. Yeah, four people. If four people were in the house, four people paying. Um, that's in a place that seated 200. It was an, it was officially an audience. So we would we they would do shows to re, res, <laughs> to resonating silence. Uh, sorry, it took me a little bit. Let's get
0: out. Resonating yeah, silence. Yeah, if they
1: had four people in the audience, they actually had to do a show. That's just the
0: way oh, they paid for it. Mm-hmm. Like, what would you do? Like if, uh, if they paid for it, would you like, you can't wait for a hundred people to show up. Those oh, are yeah. waiting
1: for like the whole fucking day. So, uh, let's see where we got next. So, uh, Kathy Westmoreland, um, who, uh, late, who actually, uh, so is, this is a woman he worked with. Um, but later in life, uh, she achieved a strange kind of celebrity, as a backup singer for Elvis, and what? And she actually later became his confidant and then quietly his lover, Elvis' so, his lover.
0: So Steve Martin has a seven degrees of Kevin Bacon to Elvis. With Elvis.
1: Yeah, pretty much. So, but but, but um, him and Kathy developed a hillbilly routine, and uh, she on washboard and uh, and uh, Steve on banjo, and it was his oh. for, it was his first foray into comedy without magic to back her up. And uh, she blacked out a tooth, and the act included crossed eyes and corn jokes, and it was and it absolutely killed. And they soon ascended to the premiere slot for the birdcages oleo acts. The Saturday night nine o'clock performance, the audience and uh, the audience would howl and weep and thrash about, and the laugh would uh, double the length of our five-minute show. So and it was at this point, like it, they decided to take their act to the Golden Bear for a Monday tryout. And the Bear was a folk music club in Huntington Beach, California, where all the big names played. And let's uh, see, one of the guys I, I had in there is uh, Jackson Brown would play there. You know? uh, so, uh, but he was smug about presenting uh, his fully broken and seemingly invulnerable act. But it was not until days later when he, when, uh, <laughs> when he acknowledged himself acknowledged to himself that his debut in the tougher world a real show business had been met with only a polite response. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, Kathy and I were probably too corny for an exploding folk scene that was producing many serious and spectacular artists. Polite wi- response. Yeah, the willing and forgiving <laughs> audiences of the birdcage did not necessarily reflect those at hip folk clubs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that polite response. Like, they're like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so let's see. Um, so, uh, so so let me go back a little bit in his college. So Santa Ana Junior College offered no philosophy classes, so he immediately applied to Long Beach State College, later renamed the loftier sounding California State University at Long Beach, and enrolled with a major in philosophy. Really? And he paid for for his schooling out of his birdcage wages. Aided in his in uh, his second year by a dean's list scholarship, one hundred and eighty dollars a year. Hmm. achieved through his uh impassioned studying. And uh he rented so and this is back in time when you actually fucking pay for school off of <laughs> off of a job.
0: <laughs> right.
1: We, if you want to hear listen to that, uh, <laughs> again we've got another episode yes, of Philosophical where is it still worth it to go to a four year college? Uh, yeah. I like how I can refer to it yeah. our stuff and be like, hey, you wanna hear more about that? Check
0: check that. Listen Check, to this. check this
1: out. Mm. Sorry, I had to get a little sip of beer in there. A sip of beer. Yeah. So he rented a small apartment near uh, near the school, so small that its street number was 1059 and a quarter. <laughs> Sorry, one-fourth. You, you know.
0: Wise men say forgiveness I've is I've never divine. heard of an
1: ad- I've heard of halves, but I've never heard of a quarter.
0: Well, what what it makes me think of is, wise men say forgiveness is divine, but never pay full price for late pizza. <laughs> okay. Because it's uh, he's a... Uh, He's delivering it's uh, 43 and a third, 43 mm. and a third, forty-three and a third. And like <laughs> Michelangelo is like in the in the in the sewer grade, he's like, hey dude, dude. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. <Go ahead. laughs>
1: so over three years uh, that he worked there, he strung together everything he knew, including Dave Stewart's glove into Dove Trick, some comedy juggling, a few standard magic routines, a banjo song, and some very odd jokes. <laughs> His act was eclectic and uh, it took it took ten more years for him to make sense of it. <laughs> 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 and, uh, however, the opportunity to perform four and five times a day gave him the confidence and poise he needed. Even though, uh, his material had few di- distinguishing features, the repetition uh, made him lose his amateur rattle. So that was kind of cool. He finally, he, he, overca- he overcame the shyness every, and yeah. you know, that he had when he, uh, you know, he well,
0: that's hard. Dad. That's hard, you know, to like overcome like the, like public speaking is like the biggest actual uh, fear in humans.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know me and you are the same or like yeah. fear, fear that. And I think most people do well, too. Well, like, I actually. Well, it's like even when you when called on in the class, you're kind of like, I don't want to talk. Well, like, I want to be up at the front.
0: I actually have a little That's bit. That's why
1: I give a fucking big uh, props to teachers.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I have a little bit of insight to uh, public speaking is mm-hmm. actually ingrained into your DNA because a lot of the times, like, when you had to talk and like in ancient times oh, yeah. when you had to actually talk in mm. front of the group, it's to not get killed. Yeah. They're, they're like, you fucked up, mm. we're gonna give you a chance to talk and uh, tell us why we shouldn't kill you. Mm. That, that's where the that comes from. Oh. <laughs> 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 that's what makes stand-up comedy such an, an interesting thing. Yeah, totally. Because uh, I myself know several, uh, actually four, successful stand-up comedians Mm -hmm. like aaron marsh uh uh jared DeSeiko. but like the thing is it's like you have to get it in your brain that like this is what i do yeah like uh we ourselves do a podcast Mm -hmm. but there's nobody like sitting here and like (laughs) rubbing their chin and looking Mm -hmm. at us and Mm -hmm. judging us like we just do it yeah, but it's it's a very human thing to have an issue with talking in front of people. Mm. But anyway, I'm sorry, sorry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so there were no clubs uh, dedicated to comedy at this time. This is you know like I said early '60s, and uh, they just didn't exist for at least 15 years. So every comedian was an outsider. Uh, so the the bet. Uh, so I'm going uh, to going from that, but I'm, I'm going to go, like he said, uh, and I wanted to mention this because we did an episode on Sam Kinnison. So. Oh, yeah. So, uh, and this is just the way Steve Martin goes through it. So the best opening line that Steve Martin <laughs> says he ever heard, from, heard, I heard,
0: heard I, was- uh, I know where you're going. Yeah, that. it was
1: from Sam Kinnison in late 80s playing the comedy store in Los Angeles. He said, you're going to see a lot of comedians tonight. Some will be good. Some will be Okay. <laughs> But there's a difference between me and them. <laughs> them, you might want to see again sometime.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, am like, like, I I yeah. knew that line. That's well. There's one, like, another one
1: he talked about, like where he talked about like uh, another one he loved was uh, Richard Pryor's where uh, he 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 showed up like two hours late and he simply said, "Hope I'm funny." <laughs>
0: <laughs> I I know. Uh, just real quick, without mm. derailing stuff. Uh, mm. there's one of my favorite Richard Pryor lines. Mm-hmm. He says, "Me and my buddies used to hang out and we." Couldn't do anything till 11:30, and you had to be home at 11:30. We'd go outside, and there'd be there'd be dudes. I mean, I'm using the word dudes, mm-hmm. hanging out next to a uh, uh, lamp post. And what are you doing? Waiting for 11:30. <laughs> 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 yeah, anyway, go ahead. I'll get all Richard
1: Pryor. Yeah, probably the,
0: probably the greatest. 11:11:30. <laughs> Just like top three, best ever. Yeah.
1: So using the birdcage as the home base, he uh, flirted with outside work, auditioning for gigs while keeping his class load at school as light as possible. Oh yeah. Uh, the prison of, of uh, so- uh, Socrates uh, was a music club in, in the T-shirt and shorts beach town of Balboa. Balbo? Balboa. Okay. Balboa.
0: B A L B O A. Like Balboa. Well,
1: maybe yeah. is that you say that Balboa? Oh, it right. probably would be all, yeah. Balboa. Yeah. Okay. Um. So uh, the audition at, at the prison was marginal because the opening acts were usually marginal anyway, and he was hired for a weekend tryout. I, he said, I now have my first job outside Knott's Berry Farm, which presented a particular <laughs> difficulty. It was one thing to do five minutes at the birdcage. cage. Like I'm like, laughing already. Yeah, it was Sorry. one thing to do five minutes at the birdcage, or 10 minutes at a hoot, quote unquote hoot, but it was another thing to do 20 minutes for paying customers furiously trying to expand the act before my three day gig <laughs> I threw in earnest readings of poets so he like would do like T.S. Eliot and uh, just a bunch of different guys like never heard of <laughs> oh, oh. T.S. Oh, T. Eliot yeah but he would throw in little poetry readings because, like I said, they were, well, awesome. I'm, I'm going. They, they were playing. He was doing stuff at folk clubs, mm-hmm. at, and at the time, in the '60s, that was the big thing. And there, there weren't comedy clubs yet. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, like uh, the the laugh, um, not the laugh factory, the store. Yeah. The store the is like the, yeah. the first one.
1: So opening night, he stood in the parking lot behind the club, uh, going over ma- his material and warming up on the banjo, adjacent to garbage cans and blowing with beach sand. <laughs> The Parking lot was where the opening acts tuned up and rehearsed, as there was no place to practice out of <laughs> the audience <laughs> earshot. And I performed to a, and, you know, performing to a uh, to a sparse crowd, and uh, and how did it go? He said, "I, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> my only memories are of it uh, are the unsettling echo of chairs screeching on the concrete floor as patrons adjusted their seats. After the show, I was informed to my by my college friends that I had mispronounced the word." word incomparable <laughs> but oh, by then oh, i wonder how he said it. yeah <laughs> so so uh he had two credits by then or he now had two credits the birdcage and the prison of uh socrates so um he was able to land intermittent jobs among them and the ice house in pa-
0: pasadena oh ice house yes yeah. yeah
1: so at the ice house um he, uh, he faced a real nightclub audience and performed almost as frequently as he, as he did at the Birdcage. Three shows a night was the standard of these small clubs. Eventually, he in, in, integrated himself with enough venues that he, want, that he wondered if he could possibly finance his life without the security of his steady job at Knott's Berry Farm. And yeah, the Ice House... Um, well, it was a converted ice house. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the ice house was that old, though. Well, yeah, it's, been, was, ar- it's been around a long time. Well, I always hear about time. Joe Rogan talking about like playing like ice doing a set. Ice house, Rogan,
0: Tony Hinchcliffe, uh, Brighton Red Band. Yeah, he
1: always talks about how much he loves the ice house. Yeah, that's why I like kind of. It's literally it was interesting.
0: It's, it's literally an old ice house. It's like literally yeah. what it is.
1: Yeah. So the the local co- f- uh, local folk clubs thrived on single acts, and their Monday nights were uh, were reserved for budding talent. And standing comedy felt like an open door. It was possible to assemble a few minutes of material and be on stage that week, as opposed to being be, as opposed to standing in line with some materi- mysterious world in Hollywood, getting no response, no phone call to return, and no opportunity to perform. And on Mondays, he could tour around Orange County, visit three clubs in one night, and be on stage live in front of an audience. And what he's talking about is like being, like acting, like trying to like yeah. make a name for himself, acting which i think he 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 had kind of thought about at the time. What was,
0: what was this this year?
1: that you're talking about? Um i don't have an exact year Okay. this one. But it was the early 60s. Yeah. Well he,
0: he like he is always well, been. Well, it's probably
1: around mid 60s actually. Well, he's right alwe-
0: he's always been such a staple yeah. for me. So it was,
1: it was probably mid 60s to uh yeah, it was probably mid 60s. How how,
0: how old is Steve Martin? Steve
1: Martin? I don't know now. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to look it up, but okay. Well, he was born in 1945. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it doesn't really matter. No. He's ageless, man. <laughs> yeah, he really is, man. Yeah. So- uh <laughs> so, so one cool thing he, he said is, is if I flopped at the, parad- the paradox in, in uh, Tustin, T-U-S-T-I-N, Tustin. <laughs> Tustin, yeah. I might succeed an hour later at the uh, Rouge en Noir I found myself confining the magic to its own segment so I wouldn't be called a magician. Even though the idea of doing comedy had sounded risky when I compared it to the safety of doing trick after trick, I wanted, needed, to be called a comedian. I discovered Mm. it was not magic I was interested in, but performing in general. And why? Because I was in competition with my father? No, because I was aware of his interest in showbiz until years later. Was my ego out of control and looking for glory? I don't think so. I am fundamentally shy and still feel slightly embarrassed at disproportionate attention. My answer to the, to the question is simple. Who wouldn't want to be in show business?
0: Well, we're doing it ourselves right mm-hmm.
1: now. So I, I, he said, I looked around the birdcage uh, and saw actors who had worked there 15 years and counting, and I knew it could be a trap for me. With some trepidation, I gave not notice. And at the age of 21, three years after I had started at, for the, at the birdcage, I slipped away almost unnoticed, hmm. and uh, oh. yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. Well, that's that's one of those things too. Is like people think about jobs, you know, and, yeah. uh, and it's always like, you look at a job where like when you can just like leave and no one even fucking cares. Right. Like, was that really a good job?
0: Well, like, and for me, like Steve Martin is a like, I couldn't imagine the world without him. No, you know, like a, a, a comedy without him. Like think about the man with two brains, which is his acting career. Like the the man with two brains, yeah. uh, tra- uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. With uh, like John John Candy, mm-hmm. like he's uh, he's. <laughs> I <laughs> I remember like the big thing that I keep going back to is him on um on um uh, Saturday Night Live.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah.
0: Like th- th- we're just a couple wild and crazy <laughs> guys.
1: <laughs> so, so I wanted to share the story. This is actually, um, if you if you do read the book, uh, "Born Standing Up," um, this is actually the first chapter. So in the summer, and this was actually a year I think it ran a year before he left the bird, uh, the birdcage theater. So in the summer of 65, uh, he was 20 years old, and he was in San Francisco uh, driving up in L.A. In 1965,
0: he was yeah. 20 years old? Holy years. fuck.
1: And uh, lugging, he, But he was lugging around with banjo and black hard shell case, uh, hard shell prop case. So he was doing uh, open mic nights, um, playing for free anywhere he could, and uh, auditioning at comedy clubs or playing banjo on the street for tips. Busking. Yeah, and he'd sleep in either his VW van... Camp out in, in a Golden Gate Park, or pay for a cheap uh, hotel room. And uh, at this point, he wasn't—he wasn't the uh, wasn't refined comic we'd come to know. <laughs> <laughs> he, well, well, you know, we were like talking about that, that earlier ourselves. You know, yeah. you, you do you, it takes time to really.
3: Well, we are yourself. still refining. We
1: are. So his act was uh, was uh, as he puts it, cobbled together from the, the dis- disparate universities or universes of juggling, comedy, banjo playing. Weird bits that he'd written in college and magic <laughs> tricks. And he said, I was, ri- I was strictly Monday night quality. The night when traditionally anyone who could get up to perform would perform. All we entertainers knew Mondays were really audition nights for the club. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, he was still in touch at the time by the rapidly changing fashion scene of the mid-60s. He had short hair and, uh, and wore conservative clothes, which didn't help him with the hippie crowds <laughs> he was playing to. Like I said, he was playing at folk clubs. And uh, his opening line at the time was, Hello, I'm Steve Martin, and I'll be out of here in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lone chuckle. <laughs> and uh, uh, let's see. Uh, at, at one point he started singing. His, uh, well, this is actually, uh, he was playing at a place called uh, The Coffee and Confusion in San Francisco in, uh, in yeah, the mid-60s. Hmm. And so I'm, I'm just telling this little story like he told. Um, and at one point he started singing a song that would uh, go on to become a famous bit of his and it was like you know be courteous and kind and forgiving Uh, uh, and actually I'm going to play that right now go ahead
2: be courteous kind and forgiving (laughs) be gentle and peaceful each day be warm and human and grateful and have a good thing to say be thoughtful and trustful and childlike Be witty and happy and wise. Be honest and love all your neighbors. Be obsequious, purple, and clairvoyant. Be pompous, obese, and eat cactus. Be dull and boring and omnipresent. Criticize things you don't know about. Be oblong and have your knees removed. Be tasteless, rude, and offensive. Live in a swamp and be three-dimensional Put a live chicken in your underwear Get all excited and go to a yawning festival (laughs) Okay, everybody (laughs) Be courteous, kind, and forgiving Be courteous, kind, and forgiving Good, be gentle and peaceful each day Be gentle and peaceful each day Be warm and human and grateful Be warm and human and have a, good thing, to say. And and have a good, good thing to say. Be thoughtful and trustful and childlike, everybody on this. <laughs> be thoughtful, thoughtful and trustful and, and childlike. Be witty and happy and wise. Be witty and happy and wise. Be honest and love all your neighbors. Be honest and love all your neighbors. Be obsequious, purple, and clairvoyant. Let them hurry outside. Be obsequious, <laughs> purple. Be pompous, obese and eat cactus! Everybody sing! Be pompous, pompous obese and cactus. Be dull and boring and omnipresent. Be dull and boring and omnipresent. Criticize things you don't know about. Criticize things you don't know about. Be oblong and have your knees removed. Be oblong and have your knees removed. Ladies only, be tasteless, rude and offensive. Tasteless, rude and offensive. Now the men, live in a swamp and be three-dimensional. Live in a swamp, be three-dimensional. Put a live chicken in your underwear. Put a live chicken in your underwear. Go into a closet and suck eggs. Go into a closet and suck
1: eggs.
0: I'm over here laughing.
1: <laughs> that's good stuff, yeah, Sorry, I, I had to play that full song. Just yeah. it's, it's Put just, a just, live it's, chicken in your underwear. And that's actually a, that what he calls it is a grandmother song. Because uh, when, he, when he did that bit in, um, in that club... He uh, he t- he told the audience that his grandmother taught him. <laughs> oh! <laughs> and I really wanted to do this part just because in the book he says, "Uh, so uh, and you're gonna love this is uh when he was doing that show he added lady like ladies only never make love to Bigfoot. Oh <laughs> and shit! Says, really? Men-, men only. Hello, my name is Bigfoot. Oh, oh shit! <laughs> so I just kind of liked that. Yeah. So I just wanted to tell you that one. That's. Hilarious. <laughs> I thought you'd enjoy that. <laughs> and it'll be uh, yeah. It, it's it, it's just a fun one of his honestly well
0: his his whole take on comedy is yeah. really unique Yeah, it's, it's really unique it's like you think about like Hed, Hedberg hicks yeah they're all he was very, very original yeah very yeah. unique
1: and I haven't gotten I haven't even gotten to the part about him talking about like being an original like comic and yeah everything.
0: yeah well like like I said like my big thing with him is like the movies. Yeah, like that's my big experience with uh, Steve Martin.
1: Oh, that's most people's experience. Steve yeah, Martin. they just don't. Well, because he uh, he honestly quit stand up uh, when he was at his highest. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. When he was at his peak, he quit.
0: And I wish I could think of the name of his band.
1: Uh, I can't remember. Well, what he's currently doing with a yeah.
0: yeah. He's got a bluegrass he, He's got a bluegrass. He, band. I
1: think he toured. He does it with a few different people or a few well, different he, bands. He's got a
0: bluegrass like.
1: Well, even with Dang. the uh, the one he, uh, he did with Martin Short, the show, he uh, he had a, his blue, <laughs> he had his bluegrass band with him or a bluegrass a bluegrass Steve, band. Steve with Martin
0: him. and Martin Short, man, like those. Yeah, guys. if you haven't
1: seen it on Netflix, it's a, a night you're sure you sure to forget. It's actually <laughs> it's really fucking good. So, the, those those two, two guys, play off each other those really two well. Guys together, and they're like... doing another one right now. <laughs> I'm,
0: I'm like I'm sorry, guys. Listeners, I'm like over here chuckling. Mm. <laughs> I'm just
1: like,
3: <laughs> <laughs> sorry, go ahead. So I'm gonna go yeah, ahead.
1: I'm gonna continue on. So uh, he continued to attend uh, Long Beach State College, uh, and he was studying philosophy. And he was uh, he became fixated on studying, and uh, and he was now an A student actually.
0: I'm not surprising,
1: right? He just got he got really into uh, he just got really into being a like you know being in school. You yeah. know, okay? well, and well, it was also it, you know it helped with something he was into because he, right. he really loved philosophy a lot. So uh, some people would fall asleep uh, at night listening to music. He would fall asleep listening to like Lenny Bruce.
0: Oh, nice, nice. And
1: from this, he uh, he led it led him to to uh, to discover that uh, comedy could evolve.
0: Right, right. Oh, like, that's one of the reasons I love uh, like Sam McKinnison. It was yeah. like it's like uh, like Rogan said, like, oh, this is comedy too. Mm-hmm. This is comedy. Exactly. You know, oh, oh, oh. I'm like uh, this is comedy too. Yeah. Right.
1: Continue. And we've talked about it before, like just uh where comedy is at right now. Yeah. And honestly, I think me and you are both looking for that really s- like kind of uh comic who's mm-hmm. really doing something that no one else is doing. My
0: favorite right now is Chris D'Elia. Yeah. That
1: he's my favorite right now. Well my well mine is uh, probably uh Jim Jefferies. Okay. At least yeah. it I think his last special wasn't nearly as good as like his previous two. But he's still yeah. putting out some really good shit. And well, and
0: after uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, after Delia for me would probably be a uh, Gaffigan. Gaffigan, yeah.
1: yeah. But I'm just I'm always looking for the person who's like gonna push, you know, comedy. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny how we talk about uh, about pushing comedy and, and everything. And and it's like, and people, and you know, I think somebody would be like, you know, if you want to fucking push comedy, like, why don't you just do it yourself?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, we're kind of doing it. <laughs> we're, well, we're not comedians. <laughs> not so. even close.
1: I mean, I, I, know, I know if I was to do comedy, I know exactly what I would want to do, <laughs> oh, which is definitely like a social commentary type All right. comedy and really like kind of, I don't know, I don't want to get into it. Well, my uh, the this isn't the
0: place. <laughs> the the one and only joke I've ever written. Mm-hmm. I didn't put it down on paper. Yeah, but this you is, told it before. This is my joke. Yeah. Uh, I would like to dress up as uh, Jeffrey Dahmer for Halloween. Put that would it'd be, be in bad it'd, taste. Maybe in bad taste. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, uh, let's see where I got next. So on campus, uh, he he experienced two moments of illumination, and uh, he would and he would have to write the the first one was uh, that he would have to write everything in the act, like, in an act himself. There could be nothing that made the audience uh, feel they weren't seeing something other, utterly new. Mm. And he didn't know, Uh, but he didn't know how to write comedy at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Steve Martin not knowing how well, to write Well, here's comedy? the thing. Some of his
1: best one-liners were all, like, he kind of stole from, like, gag books and other people's routines <laughs> He because j- he just didn't know. Um, and, uh, he was, he was really, he was, uh, he got a lot of his stuff from like com like comedy magicians. Okay. Cause he, that's the way he thought of himself as he was a comedy, a comic magician. And after several years of working up, uh, his week, 20 minutes, he, uh, he was now starting from almost zero. Fuck. But he finally realized he was like, look, if I'm going to make, if I'm going to do something good, I need to be original. Yeah. And I need to do my own material. So he came up with several schemes for developing material, uh, I laugh in life, he thought. Um, so why not observe what what it is that makes me laugh? And uh, if if he did spot something that was funny, um, he decided not to just describe it as something uh, happening to someone else, but to translate into the first person. So it was happening to me. Like mm. I didn't walk into a bar. I did. <laughs> I didn't want it to appear that others were were nuts. I wanted to I like appear that, that a, I guy a guy didn't walk yeah. into who I did. He didn't want it to appear that others were nuts. I wa- he, he wanted it to appear that he was nuts. <laughs> yeah, or that I was nuts. <laughs> Another method was to idly and abstractly or abstractly dream up uh, bits. Singing in a science class, he stared at the periodic table of elements that hung behind the professor. And that weekend, he went on stage at the ice house and announced. And now I would like to do a dramatic reading of The Periodic Table of Elements. Dude, this, that's, be, one of my, this, he,
0: that's one of my favorite
1: Martin yeah. bits. He said, I said, that bit didn't last long.
0: <laughs> but it's funny, though. Yeah,
1: it, well, who would think to do something like that? It's
0: funny. Like, Have you ever heard that bit? No. It's fucking hilarious. Yeah, but he like, thought to
1: be like, oh, well, let me do a bit where I'm like, I'm going to read The Periodic Table of yeah, Elements. I've completely... But you know what? And he does it, and it's fucking funny.
0: <laughs> it is. Like, I've heard that entire bit.
1: And then but then he uh, he was taking a logic class and he found out that uh Lewis Carroll who uh, who who wrote like Alice in Wonderland wrote logic textbooks <laughs> and included argument form or argument forms uh based on the solology, uh, normally presented in logic books this uh it was normally presented in logic books this way all men are mortal so, uh socrates is a man and uh therefore socrates is mortal that's a, that's like a logic problem mm. And uh, I'm going to go in a couple more. So, uh, but Carol, uh, uh, but Carol's were more convoluted and they struck, uh, they struck uh, Steve more as funny in a new way. So babies are, lot. one, babies are illogical. Two, nobody is uh, despised who can manage a crocodile. And three, <laughs> illogical persons are, dis- are despised. Therefore, babies cannot manage crocodiles. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> right, that's kind of that's pretty cool. So, absolute, uh, absolutely logical. I'm sorry. Yet Go they ahead. were still funny, and uh, so uh, Lewis Carroll. Uh, he like so Steve kind of expanded on Lewis Carroll's delivery, and of, of what comedy could be. And uh, he began closing his show by announcing, "I'm not going home tonight. I'm going to ba- to Banana Land." A place where only two things are true. Only two things: one, all chairs are green, and two, no chairs are, are green. Um, he loved implying that the one thing I be- that he believed in was a contradiction.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm
1: literally I'm literally over here laughing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but it was cool. Like that's actually something. I, yeah, I learned about comedy. He was like, whoa! Like he took he took comedy from a logic class.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like like Steve Martin is one of these. People that uh, like I, I will put him in the same vein as like Mitch Hedberg. Oh, definitely. Is like being like clever. And they just have a
1: mind that works differently than exactly.
0: us. exactly. Like having having a, this like intelligence that works yeah. on a different uh, like he
1: he looks at a, like we look at a banana and we see a banana. He looks at a <laughs> banana and he sees like sure. like. Uh, like so, like something comedic, you know. Or, you know, I'm doing this. I'm doing a horrible.
0: Ne- next next time on a boat, I'm yeah. reaching for a lime. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: You get what I'm saying. But like, you know, we, yeah, we look at. I think what I'm trying to say is we look at one thing one way, and he looks at one thing another mm-hmm. way. It's like as a, as like it's something that's funny. Right. Or I can take this and make this funny.
0: Like how how like. Steve Martin in particular, like with along with Mitch Hedberg, mm. uh, same thing with like Robin Williams. Like you look at something and like, what's funny about this? Yeah, it, without even thinking about
1: yeah. it. Yeah, like, well, like I said, we, we we talk about like doing the periodic table elements. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> and I know that bit. You I got compl- and you got to figure Andy Kaufman. Well, Andy Kaufman, yeah, he was, was something different, yeah, man, yeah, yeah, too.
0: Yeah. Like thank think of, think of it very much. This is
1: definitely a very very much an Andy Kaufman style.
0: Yeah, thank thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. And like like his whole thing is like uh Andy Kaufman in particular. Like he uh Or when Andy
1: Kaufman would like uh I think one thing I didn't mention was uh Oh i I'm trying to think if this was right. Or if this was something else I like was watching or, or reading about was uh was some of his was uh, some of his bits were uh lip syncing, maybe.
0: Yes, yes it was. He did Elvis. Well, well, I mean, Kaufman did that. Well, Ka-
1: Kaufman did be... Elvis. Yeah. I'm trying to think of that. Steve Martin did something like that. For... No, I'm thinking of, of like television. I'm thinking actually, I know, <laughs> it's funny. I'm thinking of an episode on YouTube from uh, the channel Yesterworld, or not Yesterworld, uh, Defunctland, where he talked about, uh, he was talking about the Muppets actually. When, he, when they first started doing the show, the first show that, the Muppet, uh, that Jim Henson ever did was called Salmon Friends. Mm-hmm. And it got to be insanely popular. Um, and what they would do actually was lip sync uh, like songs. Okay, and with the with the Muppet with the Muppets, <laughs> and it, they did that for a long time before Jim Henson was finally like, "I'm gonna write some original stuff." <laughs> it's funny; I, I can't believe my mind went there. It's crazy, <laughs> man. So much stuff mixes together.
0: Well, because we're talking about comedy, comedy at this. That's point. That's another
1: thing we should do. Is dude, we have so many people want to cover. Like Jim Henson mm, would actually be a really dude, good. Dude, dude. Although I don't feel I could do nearly. I'd probably go to defunct, the the Land because he's doing a six part series. Mm. I think a six, six or eight part miniseries on Jim Henson and I'd be like I'm just going to rip everything off this. <laughs> well, and I wouldn't I really actually wouldn't want to do that. I'd be like, "You know what? You want to hear you want to hear about Jim Henson and in his story? Watch that."
0: Well, my big thing is like when we do like a bi- it, biography on yeah. somebody, I like take a lot in, mm-hmm. but I try to not hit the same exact points. Like I try well, to I mean, I'm
1: I'm not re- I'm reading off of the, a lot of this I am reading off the book. I'm, mm-hmm. And I I'm definitely using it as a guide, but I'm, I'm trying to put it in my own words. Exactly. But for the most part, I'm following like his timeline because well, it, just, that, it just works well.
0: The book you have is in the words of this Steve book is Martin. Yeah, this
1: book is fantastic for what I'm doing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm reading. I'm going by the book. But it, <laughs> it's just because it's really well written and really well done. And if I had more time, I, I'd definitely write, try to write out a script. But I, right. I don't have the time. time, time. But anyway, we're going off on a tangent. A- anyway. So uh, the second illuminating moment uh, to him um, was uh, when he met a girl named uh, Nina Gold. Goldblatt, and she would go on later. Like uh, I don't know have a lot her now. Um, she was actually a dancer on a show called the Mickey Finn Show. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Do you really? Yeah. I think, and actually, uh, I think she uh, was doing a Vegas show at one point.
0: Well, the Mickey Finn Show was a. It was a Vegas show. Oh, okay. It, it was uh, like. Yeah, a, tell me about it then. It was like the. It was like um. It was a, it was on TV, mm-hmm. but it was like um, imagine like um think about like the girls like in the big. Uh, Oh, like showgirls. The, the big costumes. They're the showgirls. And, and they would dance like this, you know, and their costumes would go like this. Mm-hmm. You guys can't see me. But like, uh, like, the costumes, like, they
1: would do. Oh, yeah. like, hey, like hey, the hey, go go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, well, mid 60s yeah. type stuff. So, um, but yeah, but she became like, um, I think he ended up dating her for a little while. And then. Um, they go just, Steve Martin. And then they became, <laughs> they became friends later on. But uh, he, he wrote her a letter once. Uh, where he was just talking to her about his life, and then, uh, but the, he added, "I have decided my act is going to go avant-garde. <laughs> it is the only way to do what I want."
0: Avant-garde.
1: Yeah, avant-garde. And uh, so, but she would actually go on to, uh, I think, like actually right before I stopped. Um, and I'll, I'll get, in, and I'll actually uh, when the second part when I do the second part, um, she's gonna be a big fart of it, part oh, of it. You said fart. Yeah. I know, I know, <laughs> sorry. Fart. Farts are funny. So, <laughs> so at the ice house, um, he met the comedian uh, George McKelvey or McKelvey. Sorry, George had uh, and George had an actual career. Um, he but he was in he was in Aspen, Colorado during uh, spring break and about to work a small folk club when he broke his leg skiing, and he asked if uh, Steve Martin could fill in for him, and he generously generously offered me all of his salary. Um. And I th- he said, I think it was $300 for the two weeks, which would be more than uh, I'd ever earned anywhere, anytime. And he was 21 years old in March of six- 1967 when he headed for the Notorious Ski Resort. I <laughs> 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 anyway, said Notorious. Notorious. Well, Aspen was a little different then. Well, they probably had some fun. And so the uh, the nightclub he was playing was called the Abbey Cellar on uh, Galena Street. And it was uh, like a basement-level, like, Club in the middle of the town, and it was hard to find even for them. <laughs> and uh, they so they had to, but they had to go out on the street to like kind of drum a business, and they had these like uh little uh kind of business cards that said uh, Steve Martin slash John McClure Entertainment Extraordinaire. <laughs> yeah. Extraordinaire, there's actually a picture, I'll, I'll show you that. Nice, yeah, um, extraordinaire. So he was doing uh, he was doing his, his own um. What, what he described as a triptych of a show of a banjo playing, comedy, and magic. And uh, one evening at the Abney, Ab, or Ab, Abbey Cellar, he had his first experience with a serious heckler. And I, oh, I loved this story, cause I, so I had to include it. <laughs> so uh, this heckler stood up and said, see if you think this is funny, and threw a glass of red wine on him. So uh, so later on, and so he got the guy thrown out, of course. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, actually, uh, the the bartender and I think one of the, one of the comedians like threw this guy out, <laughs> and uh, so later uh, he developed a few defensive lines to use against uh, uh, the uh, like the unruly, as he puts it. The unruly. And I hope if any comedian is listening now, please use this because <laughs> I think it's actually a great way to deal with heckler. This is a oh, I remember my first beer. <laughs> he was probably the first evil. <laughs>
0: I've heard that before. Yeah, I've he, heard that. Well, before.
1: he might have stolen it for sale. Yeah. But the great I think the best thing he did would, was uh he would lower his voice and continue, like and continue with his act, talking almost inaudibly. <laughs> the audience couldn't hear the show and they would they would shut the heckler up on their own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm just over here laughing. So, so I'm I'm sorry that uh, this is going on and uh, I think this is really funny. Uh, I think we should uh this, this. this guy's an asshole. Th- this guy's an asshole. If you, <laughs> if you actually want to hear me, you need to... I'm going to you know, I'm, gonna, I'm
0: gonna keep telling jokes. You need to like like braid is... this guy and shut him up. I'm going to keep telling jokes, with this guy... Hey, asshole! <laughs> shut the fuck up!
2: <laughs>
0: I literally applauded us right now. Oh, that was fun. <laughs> that
1: was just fun. I'm glad I put that part in. <laughs> So after two weeks in Aspen, he went back to Los Angeles feeling like an, an anointed prophet, uh, taking uh, his friends aside and, and uh, burping out the new philosophy, because he's starting to get more into the, beat, the like kind of beatnik folk culture. Oh uh, right, okay. he's like he's having all these d- uh, debates with people and discuss- philosophical discussions, and he's starting to he's starting to try drugs. In fact, there's a whole story in here about how he did these. Uh, <laughs> These poppers, as they as uh, put it, about, like, they're supposed to be good for sex. I actually ended up looking them up <laughs> at one point. I'm not going to get into, like, what they are and all that, because, yeah. So, but he continued to, uh, so, after this, so he continued to pursue his studies and uh, half believed that he might try for a doctorate in philosophy and become a teacher.
0: I've actually heard stories about yeah. him. Like... He
1: said he, he toyed with the idea for several semesters, but he concluded that, uh, not to continue with comedy would place a question in his mind that would nag him for the rest of his life. Could I ever have a career in performing? Hmm. Yeah. That's something I think could about too. Te- ma-
0: could you imagine Steve Martin being your teacher in, like,
1: philosophy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? That'd be kind of interesting. But, I mean, well, he wouldn't have been like Steve Martin. He would have just been like, you know, Professor Martin.
0: Professor Martin, yeah. But he
1: would have a... Gray-haired in 1970. <laughs> He would have a,
0: this very unique way to teach you.
1: Like, Maybe.
0: I, I really feel like if he was a teacher, he would take it on as the same way that he did like his comedy. Mm-hmm. Like He would be so unique. Oh, definitely. Like, he, he would bring it to you to where you uh, absorbed it. Mm. Do you get what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. So uh, soon he felt his career in the uh, irrational world of creativity not only made sense but had moral purpose. <laughs> so he was living That a, speaks to what I was just saying. So he felt he, he was living several lives at once. He was a student at Long Beach State. He sometimes filled in at the Birdcage Theater and at night performed in various folk clubs. He had a little turn to page. Turn the page. So um so by so by then he's like most of his work was in Westwood Long uh, was in Westwood Long Beach State College uh, 40 miles away. Um, seemed like Siberia to him. So he transferred to his third college, UCLA, so he could be closer to the action, as he put it. And he took several courses there, and one was an acting class, and then um, also a course in television writing. um, And he continued his studies in philosophy. But uh, he became overwhelmed, and uh, just with like uh, logic classes, because he got really into like taking, like being a logic major. In fact, he took like a logic class, like it was like advanced symbolic logic. Oh my God. But it was, they didn't use the same terms as like the, the, his, his other college. So Inva- he, he had to take advanced w- symbolic logic. Yeah. So he, because so he, he liked the sound of like being an advanced logic major. So he actually had to take a logic 101 class at the same time he was taking advanced logic. Who's he, Mr. Spock? So he, he was, well, yeah, I know, right? That's <laughs> what so I kept thinking. But he, he was just, it was overwhelming him. So, uh, he was shocked to find that he couldn't keep up and he had reached his math limit as well as his philosophy limit. <laughs> so he said, I abruptly changed my major to theater. <laughs> uh-huh. Theater? It, because he realized that he was now um, investing in no other, um, but but in doing so, he realized that he was now investing in no other future than show business. Mm-hmm. Turned to be a good decision. Yeah, I would say so. Turned out to be a good
0: decision. I would say so. Have you have you ever seen The Man with Two Brains? Probably.
1: We keep talking about it, man. We're not going. It's this is not about his acting career. <laughs> stop! Stop! Got to got to watch that movie. Dude. So by by uh so by then he was living rent free over the garage of a ma- uh, mansion in the exclusive area of Bel Air, thanks to the generosity of Randy Sparks and his wife Diane, who um they uh they owned a uh, they owned a theater that he would play a at theater. Yeah. Shut <laughs> <up>. <laughs> fuck you, man. It's it's just fun. saying, fuck you. <laughs> go ahead. So uh, among the uh, the crowd of singers, musicians, and uh, other non singers uh, he he like became uh, he got to know a girl who was a non-singer, and a non-musician, and her name was Melissa. Uh, and friends would get to know her know her as Mitzi, who was uh, twenty years old. And um, so after so, uh, you know he, she was she was with someone, but he ended up like getting her after a few weeks. <laughs> so uh, after several <laughs> weeks of courtship, um, and her dad was uh, named uh, Dalton Trumbo who actually Don't wrote, tremble. he wrote Spartacus. What? Yeah, he was a screenwriter. He wrote uh, Spartacus, Lonely or the Brave, uh, Hawaii, Exodus, and uh, Papillon. Whoa. Um,
0: I am Spartacus. Yeah. I am Spartacus. Yeah, And he
1: was, he was notorious for being one of the Hollywood 10 a group of writers and directors who were blacklisted during the Red Scare of the early 50s.
0: The Red Scare? Yeah. Hmm.
1: So he was like, you know, the, uh, oh, what was his name? Uh, Guy, yeah, the guy who was like going after all of like you're a commie type thing, okay, uh, McCarthy, like oh, McCarthy. McCarthyism. Yeah, that was the he was part of that. Well, the, well, you know, because there was a lot of times where, where during that time where uh, a lot of actors and, and mm. screenwriters yeah. and everybody got blacklisted. So during his cr- cr- congressional hearing, uh, Trumbo, uh, uh challenged the right of uh, this in, of of his inquisitors to interrogate him. Prompting a frustrated committee member to scream, You are out of order, sir. You are out of order. <laughs> the whole, this whole court is out of well, order. Well, that was probably actually <laughs> where they took it from, honestly. <laughs> yeah. So where did I go after this? I gotta flip a few pages. Sorry.
0: <laughs> this whole court is out of order.
1: Yeah, but um Steve Martin, so he he, you know, he got to be with her. He was with her and like he would uh, he got to really learn about like kind of the counterculture mm-hmm. and the rest of the world. I guess I guess her dad would like smoke. Smoke marijuana, oh. but apparently he never smoked How it right. He smoke it like a cigar. So she's like, "Yeah, he'd smoke a whole one. and He never get stoned, because uh. he was trying to like cut down his drinking. But apparently he was a huge drunk too. But uh, yeah, and Steve Martin, he would like go over, the- but he would go over there all the time for dinner because their mom, because uh, uh, her mom would be like, "Yeah, yeah like anytime the, you guys want to eat, he you had had know." The, he had so the they didn't have pipe. any money, so like they'd go over there for dinner. He had the <laughs> he had the weed pipe. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and Steve Martin, when you know, he was just a horny. Fucking guy at the time. <laughs> Honestly, he was just a horny fucking dude. And, uh, well, Mitzi was a photographer. And so she would do like a lot of promotional shots of him at the time, of like with yeah. flowers and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, he actually said Mitzi became my official photographer. But at this point, like the war referred to, like being on war was kind of starting, was really kind of getting everything. And it scared him a lot, actually. And at first he was exempt uh because he was in college, you know, from the draft. Um, uh, but when the college deferment lifted, he became a like uh oh, IY or 1Y, I can't I don't really know. I think know. it's one 1Y. 1Y uh, Um, unacceptable because of uh my it, he became uh unse- unacceptable because of migraine headaches. Yeah, that's one. Uh, yeah. yeah. Which uh he had exaggerated. <laughs> Well, I would exaggerate. So that he was definitely—he was definitely kind of a, a bit of a draft dodger, I guess. I that'd, would, be the one, that'd be the—that'd be. Like I the, would be too. I, that'd be the one thing I'd say. But you know what? If if we were in that same situation, I we would totally be. would have done the same thing. Fuck so you know yeah. what? You can't be like this guy was a draft dodger. Nah, it's like you know what? You, you that, were in a situ- his situation, you would have done the same fucking thing because you're you're afraid to go to war and die. Well, For something you didn't yeah. you didn't think was right. Fuck that. <laughs> I guess. So uh, yeah. Anyway. So the definition of uh one Y or was it one Y? One Y. One Y was tightened and uh I w- and he was moved up to one A. And the uh, the draft went to a lottery and he drew a middling yes. number. And as as his number approached, the war, the army went to all volunteer. So he I got. Know, I know what you're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah. So he got yeah. lucky again in the war. You know course He was, he's happy.
0: well, like our generation came real close to that.
1: They they, no. the, the, it,
0: they almost reinstated the draft when we were in high school, hmm. but con- continue,
1: yeah. So, uh, next thing it was the so, uh, her dad, so Mitzi's dad, uh, he wrote a screenplay, uh, for a movie called The Fixer, starring Alan Bates.
0: That's been actually remade, has it?
1: Yeah, I didn't know about this movie, so anyway, yeah. um, so, uh uh, his, she he was trying to say like, hey, come come and uh, you know, come and like hang out with me. And it was in um, it was in Budapest. So Mitzi joined him and uh, and she was whisked off to the, for the duration of the film. And after he would received several charming letters from her, and then noticed a lag in regularity of their arrival, Mitzi uh, sent him a gentle and direct "Dear John" letter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she'd been dropped. So this is kind of funny, actually. She'd been dropped. Uh, swept away by the director John Frankenheimer Who, 20 years later Tried and failed to just to seduce His wife Steve mm. Martin's wife
3: <laughs>
1: Or as he put, my then wife The actress Victoria Tennant Whom he was directing in a movie So Mincy was simply too alluring To be left <laughs> alone in a foreign country And it was too hormonal <laughs> To be left in Hollywood Incidentally, Frankenheimer died a few years ago but it was, but it was not I. She who was killed just, him. like
0: too hot to.
1: I like how how you put like instantly Frankenheimer died a few years ago, but it was not I who killed him. Because <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, that guy was a fucking asshole. But type it thing. wasn't me. It's like you know what? Yeah, this guy tried to steal my wife, so it's like he died. I just want to let you know that. <laughs> it's kind of it, it's oh you know yeah, just realizing now, that's kind of like the last like fuck you. It really kind of is right. It,
0: it, it, like he was like it wasn't me, but. I'm glad he's dead.
1: Yeah, he didn't really say. Yeah, he didn't say it, but (laughs) but he kind of said it. Was saying it wasn't me. (laughs) (laughs) Like yeah, if
0: I would have, if I. But he did try to
1: fucking pick up my wife. So
0: so fuck that guy. Yeah, fuck that guy.
1: (laughs) Fuck you, John Frankenheimer.
0: (laughs) So we're going to draw, uh, draw it to a close. Yeah, this
1: is a, actually, yeah, it's funny how it ended up at pretty much like almost exactly two hours. Yeah, yeah. Thank thank you for doing
0: the, the awesome research. Well, I really I'm,
1: like I'm it. really just reading what he wrote, Well, honestly. I, I, I just, I don't want to take credit for research when I just kind of, I, I mean, I'm putting it like I'm, I'm narrowing it down. It's well, more of like almost a book report in a way.
0: Here's the best way to put it is you're narrating the story. Yeah. Because, like, you yeah. and I, me and Josh... I'm reading
1: a few well, things. You know, I realize I'm actually reading a lot less verbatim than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy about that.
0: Well, like... Uh, and well, I'm glad you've been able to throw in a little bit, too. Oh, well, yeah. And the between the three of us mm-hmm. that do this show on a regular basis, yeah, we have different styles. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. So I... I r- That's I what really keeps it interesting. I, re- I really enjoyed what you put together. Tonight. Yeah, thank you. Oh, and then uh, next episode is the conclusion of this. Right? Yeah,
1: we're doing it. We're gonna do uh, part two.
0: Yeah, and then uh, next
3: month. And like I said,
1: this is all. This is all about. Um, this is all. It's really only about his stand career. Right. I mean, we could do like a three or four part, including <laughs> his acting career. But I'm not doing that. I'm, yeah. I'm going just into a stand up. Well, and, and what's what I mean? This is a it's, it's amazing to have such a great resource in his book because mm, yes. it is just about his stand up. Yeah, what's the name of the book again? It's called Born Standing Up. That's cool. And man. if you're interested, you like if you like Steve Martin like at all, like this has been actually been a really easy, like fun read. Like even just Di- reading it, it's like, really easy digestible. to read it very much. Yeah, and it, it kind of makes me want to uh, get some of his his like regular books because he, uh, it, yeah, he does. He has written, he wrote a uh, shop girl. I've never seen the movie. Actually, I turned into a movie, but he's written uh, he's written a lot of he's written a few fiction books. Okay, um, he's I a didn't great know writer. You didn't. know, well, so far I'm seeing that. Yeah, I think. Well, I think even if you were to read this book, you're like, oh man, this is like so easy to read. <laughs> and like even just reading it to like make notes, I feel like I could have like read this book within like two days. <laughs> that's awesome. Because if it's just that easy to read, that's awesome. It's nice.
0: So, our, our next one is going to be the. Uh, well, next month, you're talking about. Or, oh, no, next no. episode. Yeah. yeah, the conclusion of mm-hmm. uh, Steve Martin. Yeah. And then uh, at the end of the month, we're going to do Robin Williams. Yeah. That, that's going to be good. We'll end of next month. Yeah. yeah. And we got. And we're probably thinking that's going to be a two-parter also. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. we've got stuff in between. Yeah. So enjoy. Enjoy. And thank you for listening to Nerdy Bones. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, say it with me, Nick. Yeah. Nerdy, Nerdy Bones. bones. And And we're we're out. out.